0: Welcome back, listeners, to the latest episode of Riddles in the Dark. This is episode three of season two, and this week we will be talking about Mirkwood. That's right. We're finally getting into the dark and uh, increasingly corrupted forest. Um, and uh, it's something that we've been sort of anticipating all the way back to early season one when we, like, one of our first riddles was about uh, whether Thorin would end up in the Elven King dungeon. So we've come full circle and finally returned here for film two. And um, uh, so let's, let's get right into it. With I'm your co-host, Dave Kale. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Trish Lambert and the illustrious Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson. Good morning. Good
1: morning. Good For morning. the best so, ever Tolkien Hobbit podcast. <laughs> That's right, you forgot to, universe. to step up the grandiosity there, Dave. That was a in, that was a, in that all was, realms. That was like a <laughs> blushingly humble introduction that there was. To <laughs> anyway, okay, great. Welcome everybody. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, uh, you know, in talking about Merkwood, what we what we want to first want to clarify, um, we're going to do uh, Merkwood up to but not including the spiders. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a separate episode for the spider incident, and of course, not just thinking about the spider, the depiction of the spiders themselves. Uh, but of Bilbo and his role, and how that 's going to sort out so we 're going to do a separate episode on that so today we 're mostly interested in in the forest itself and if we think, I want to start with the book because of course, there are lots of things to think about with uh, how Mirkwood was treated in Film One. But I want to start as we 'd like to start with the book um, and just kind of remind people the stuff from Film One about Greenwood the Great and the corruption of Greenwood the Great um, might perhaps um, kind of draw attention away from uh, some of the things, that, the, the the really interesting things that I think that Tolkien does in the book, um, and you know I talked about this some in my book that in Merkwood what we see, especially in the you know in the front half of Merkwood, um, we get two different things. Um, you know, Tolkien sort of insists on two different things at the same time. It is of course dark and black and ominous and uh, <clears throat> sinister but it 's also eerie and mysterious, and there is this sense of entering the fairy otherworld uh, when they go in. You know We have those the references to hearing distant singing and laughter that they can 't explain hearing the, uh, the, the the sounding of hunting horns and the baying of hounds, um, you know, always out of sight uh, there 's something sort of ethereal and strange about Merkwood, in addition to being dark and scary and I've argued. I argued I argue in my book that those things are really distinct things. Actually, that we can see some evidence that those two things are not aligned t- together. Um, that the evil of Merkwood and the uh, this the mysterious magical otherworld quality of Merkwood um, are actually sort of in opposition to each other. That we have we are entering an elven realm. You know, we are crossing a boundary uh, into. Well, maybe not. Fairy with a capital F, but a fairy realm anyway um and uh and Tolkien is very much picking up on those uh uh on those motifs. and I don't know Trish, you were uh, sort of thinking about uh the entrance into Merkwood and the connection with traditional fairy tales right oh
2: well, I've just like you know I've been biting my tongue because this is one of the things that has always fascinated me. Since I listen, I'll give your, you a know, plug to your fairy and fantasy podcast. Because when you, you in that course, when you were doing the early fairy tales, you know, the mm-hmm. medieval fairy tales, um, yes. oh, my gosh. I mean, it was like I, I had never really considered how many of those elements Tolkien really included in The Hobbit. I mean, it's almost like an homage to medieval fairy tales. Uh, you know, and, I mean, you're way better at this than I am in terms of what the elements are, but just like you just said, the singing, the feasts that disappear, the enchanted stream, the white stag, I mean, all of that stuff is really, those are really traditional, aren't they? Fairy tales, capital F, from, like, medieval literature.
1: Yes, yeah, no, and I, I mean, and this is part of something that I think is too easily, either overlooked or, perhaps forgotten by Tolkien fans reading The Hobbit, you know, that we get, and I'm thinking about this because I've just been talking about this last night uh, in my Story of the Hobbit class, Um, you know, we get so used to thinking of The Hobbit the way that Tolkien trained us to think of The Hobbit later on in his life, which is as a chapter of the story of Middle-earth. Um, and you know we are thinking about it in the context of the story of the Ring, the context of the history of the uh, of the first three ages, uh, and all of those things. Um, and that's again, that's how in you know in the post Lord of the Rings world, that's how Tolkien kind of trained us to read The Hobbit in a sense um, by the way he contextualized it, especially uh, in the the Lord of the Rings itself. But The Hobbit on its own, on its own terms, like in 1937 when The Hobbit is published, it is much more like a fairy tale, um, a freestanding fairy tale. And I think that that's really, if you take The Hobbit on its own grounds, that's mostly how it reads. And I do think that he is very deliberately playing on um, traditional, and not even just the medieval stuff. I mean, you think of the number of, uh, you know, of, of, Fairy tales, you know, from the Brothers Grimm that oh, true. involve true. this kind of, you know, entering into the forest and 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 discovering strange and you know strange and magical things happening when you cross that boundary. The boundary between the human realm and the fairy realm is very often in a forest uh, or at a forest. Um, so um, so yeah, I do think that that is something that uh, that Tolkien is very much. Uh, appealing to here, um, and that we should be reading *The Hobbit* uh, really in that context. And I think it's one of the things, you know, it's it's one of the things I try to emphasize, you know, in my *Hobbit* lecture series and in my book, because I find it really striking about this: the build-up. I've always felt that the build-up we get for Merkwood doesn't match what happens, or you know, like you know, we're told, especially in Bjorn's house in chapter seven. You know we're told that, like Merkwood is coming up, and you know the the warning that bjorn gives about Merkwood you know that like the creatures in there are uh, are fierce and savage and uh, uh queer and fierce and savage uh, and um you know so i mean i basically i always you know and I remember even as a child getting to Mirkwood and expecting them to be jumped on by monsters as soon as they get in there, you know, because it sounds like you know, there are horrible, dreadful, powerful things living in there, and you're going to be in danger, and they're going to be giants, or they're going to be dragons, or something. It's awful. And then what happens is not that. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they, they never get attacked. Uh, the only reason the spiders attack them is that they leave the path, you know, and so they basically make themselves vulnerable. Had they not left the path, they would have been totally unmolested all the way through the forest. Um, <clears throat> and that I always found surprising. It, it, just, it didn't seem to fit the buildup. But it's not that I consider that a failure on Tolkien's part. I think it's very interesting because we get this buildup of it is fearful, it is dangerous, it is threatening. But the threat, the danger that we actually find, is just not the same kind that we might expect. It is instead the, um, you know, again I think of the conversation that the company has before they enter *Lothlorien*. Um, you know about perilous. Um, it is a perilous realm, but it is—that is not to say that it is necessarily—it's not the kind of peril um, where there are huge horned and toothed monsters waiting to pounce upon you behind every tree. Um, but rather, it's a place where you can lose yourself, and that's the danger that they actually face. I mean, again, before they put themselves into the power of the spiders um, and rouse the spiders by running around and shouting a lot off the path, um, their only danger is from magic. You know the magic, the 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 magic, you know, bom- Bomber's enchantment from the magic stream. I mean, of course, they're in danger from starvation too. But uh, I don't want I don't underscore <laughs> that, uh, or I don't want to underplay that very serious difficulty that they're having. But um, but again, it's not, it's certainly not the kind of danger. And so I think that the way that he sort of sets it up as it's dangerous especially given what they you know they've just been through the mountains and they all the issues with with the goblins and with gollum and then the chase by the wolves and it's like well now you're really in for it right okay now you're going to a place that makes that that makes you know the goblins and wargs look like a walk in the park um, and but then what we find is not you know ratcheting up the level of physical danger in that way um, but increasing the strangeness uh, of it, and the eeriness of it. And so, you know, to me, this is one of the things just to note about Merkwood in the book, and especially to note, you know, the connection with the elves here. Merkwood um, is, I think, a, a, a strange, I mean, it's, it's a strange place in the book, and it's, in some ways, I think, a little bit hard to place. Um, you know, the question about the book, the question, is Mirkwood evil, is, I think, Sort of a, a a more difficult question than it might at first seem. I mean, I think a lot of people's knee-jerk response is, "Well, yes, Markwood is an evil place. It's a dark and uh, an evil place." <clears throat> but although it is uniformly dark, that is to say, it's not like we cross a boundary and we're in Lorien all of a sudden. I mean, it doesn't look like Lorien. It's 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 dense and dark and threatening. It seems all the way through. Um, you know, it, it has this sense, we're given this sense of entanglement. It's almost like Mirkwood itself is like a web, um, which if they leave the path, they will never escape from it. Um, and uh, but, but but anyway, uh, you know, it's although it, it looks like that all the way through, it's also the realm of the elves. Um, and, you know, we've got the spiders like, right there next to the path. I mean, the, they're seeing the eyes of the spiders at night when they light fires. Um, so they're going right, but they're also on what seems to be an elf path and uh the and the magic of the elves is apparently protecting them from being attacked by the spiders while they're on the path um and when they get to the you know when they get closer to um to the elven king's halls they meet the elven feasters and everything and again they're they're like the elves are just kind of hanging out in this dark intimidating apparently one would be tempted to say, "Evil forest," but the elves don 't seem to exactly mind it they 're at peace there they are um you know they 're just they're they 're hanging out and feasting we 're told that they 're enemies of the spiders. you know we do have this sense that there is an evil in the forest, and the elves are its enemy but um but again, they seem to be they seem to be at peace within the forest, even though we don 't get a boundary, a threshold that they cross where now all of a sudden the woods seem cheerful and happy and lovely um, and well, friendly. Do you,
2: do you think it's more of a, almost a, oh, I'm going to get a little Star Trekky, probably here, kind of a parallel, oh, u- <laughs> 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 parallel universe <laughs> sort, sort of effect versus a girdle of Melian sort of effect? Well... <sighs> Hard to say. I mean, he didn't I mean, make huge. it clear one way or the other, I know. So. Yeah,
1: I know he didn't. I mean, we certainly don't get a girdle of Melian effect. Uh, in, in one way of thinking about it, the girdle of Melian is exactly what we don't get. And by that I mean, you know, the girdle of Melian, you know, for those of you who don't remember your Silmarillion, um, <laughs> we have the, you know, the, woodland, the woodland realm of Doriath, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, clearly... You know, partially the inspiration of the woodland realm in Mirkwood. i mean the the if you go back, this is actually exactly what I was doing in my class last night, my Hobbit class last night. We were reading passages from the lay of Lathian, um the poem about Baron and Luthian that Tolkien wrote in the late twenties um so it's one of the things that he like literally you know, put down his pen writing The Way of Lathie and picked it up to write The Hobbit. It's the stuff he was working on right around the time he was thinking and developing The Hobbit story. Um, so we were looking at the descriptions of Doriath and the Thousand Caves, uh, Minigroth, of Thingol um, and comparing that with the descriptions of the Elven King and his halls in Mirkwood. And it's the, the similarities are very clear. Um, but anyway, in Doriath, in The Silmarillion, we get uh, you know the the, the the queen Melian who who puts this girdle of power this 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 uh, this boundary of power around the woods so Doriath is a is a protected realm it's called the hidden realm it's 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 uh, it's concealed and protected by the girdle so everything inside this boundary of of Melian's power is bright and peaceful even when. All, you know, at near the end of it, almost everything outside it um, is dark. You know, it's like an island of light in the middle of the spreading darkness of Morgoth as he's carrying on conquering Valerian um, Now, and so, in one sense, as I say, that's exactly what we don't see in Mirkwood. We don't get a boundary where. You know, at this point, the power of goodness is being exerted to repel all evil, and within that boundary, everything is bright, lovely, and peaceful. That's exactly what we don't see. Um, we don't see a boundary. We don't. See... But at the same time, um, there is something. Of, there is something of that kind of Melian-like power that the Wood Elves do seem to exert in *The Hobbit*. Um, the spiders. We never see the elves fighting the spiders. Um, you know, we don't know that they lead like campaigns against them. But the spiders avoid the elves. The spiders are obviously are afraid of them. And not just afraid of them, but they are repelled by them. The spiders, if the spiders would want to, to, to pursue them onto the path or into the glades where the elf circles were, where the elven feasts were being held, they can't. It seems that they can't do that. They avoid those places. Um, And, you know, there's a reason why, although they see these spider webs stretching from tree to tree, they're never stretched across the path. And that seems to be this kind of evil, repulsing power uh, of the elves' magic. Um, And that, so that element itself is like kind of Melian-esque, is kind of girdle-like, but there is not a boundary, there's not a girdle. They are living in the midst of this dark and sinister wood, it's just that where they, you know, they are, they are at peace within it, and seem to be pretty, uh, pretty much in control of their part of it. They don't seem to be under threat. They don't seem to be under attack um, by the spiders. The spiders just stay out of their way. Um, so, um, so that I think is, is you know, it, it's, it's, it's what makes Mirkwood, in my mind, a really complicated construction in the book. Because we, you know, we do see it both ways—both sinister and threatening, but also, um, uh, but also at peace and full of the magic of the elves. Um, and those two things seem, in a sense, to coexist. In that the elven magic is clearly extending that sort of that magical sense of where the the power of the elves extends within Merkwood is outwardly indistinguishable. Um, from the rest of the forest Um, but uh, anyway so that I think is the uh, the important thing to keep in mind about Merkwood and then to that we add this element of the active corruption of Merkwood which of course uh, Peter Jackson emphasized very strongly in film number one. That is, there is a creeping evil that is filling Mirkwood and that is coming from Dal Guldur. Um, and that is obviously the influence of the necromancer upon the forest. Um, and uh, so to me, thinking now about you know, the actual question of how Merkwood will be depicted um, in the film, to me it's a question of how are they going to make that manifest? Because of course, we saw Merkwood in film one. We see it uh, as a bright, happy, and cheerful place with a few dead animals and rotten fungi in it. Um, you know, it is clearly in the very initial stages of its corruption. Um, and a, if Merkwood is going to look anything like what we got in the book, and I think it is, based upon you know some of the stuff that we've seen, some of the you know I remember I forget which one it was, but one of the you know, production video blog episodes showed Merkwood scenes and the, and them traveling in Merkwood, and it's pretty clear we're going to get a dark and twisted forest, um, and not the bright cheerful place where Radagast was living at the beginning. I mean, that is bright and cheerful, other than the corpses of dead animals. Um, but uh, um, anyway, so I, I, I think that we can see, uh, this is this is one of the main things that the film is going to have. So I've, apparently, he's going to what depict? There's going to have been a rapid increase in the corruption I guess what do you guys think about that how do you think we're gonna get the kind of time lapse there
0: that's a really good question Um, I I've been wondering about that for for a while now uh, cuz it it's there's sort of a danger of it either now granted granted i guess we i guess one of our maxims on the show now is that uh, time and space mean nothing in these films <laughs> right right so, so maybe maybe we should not get hung up on the whole wow it seems like it's happening too fast because right. they've they've shown uh, utter disregard for that in the past so, so there's no yeah. reason to worry about it but it does seem like on the one hand that they that it, it maybe will happen a little too fast or on the or anything else that they do like them wandering into a section of the forest and being like Oh, wow, didn't realize this was corrupt, haven't been over here in a while. Ends up making <laughs> Radagast the Brown and the Elves look like just basically the most um, inattentive and competent caretakers <laughs> right. of the Forest ever.
1: Right. And, like, uh, hey, I, congr- congratulations for spotting that. Uh, you know, up here it's much, much worse. But I'm glad you <laughs> did pick up on it eventually, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I don't know. I gu- I guess I guess you're right. I guess they're just going to do some kind of time-lapse thing where they're just going to make it happen virtually well,
1: overnight you know in their defense within the world of the movie like a great deal of screen time has passed between when we see the healthy the mostly healthy uh greenwood at the beginning of quite near the beginning of film one um and when we That's will true. get to it after bjorn presumably so i mean Yes, if we think about, but 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 this is, I think, what what at least what I mean by what you were describing as the sort of the disregard for time and space. Um, the problem that I think a lot of Tolkien fans tend to have is that Tolkien fans are are really used to. In fact, Tolkien kind of trains them to sort of step outside the story and say, "Okay, let's stop for a second and think about this. How many days have passed since they left here?" and You know, and (laughs) and how many miles have they traveled? Because Tolkien does this himself. I mean, yeah. How many
0: conversations back. are there? Uh, right. Where where Frodo's trying to catch up on? Wait,
1: what day is it again? How many? Days? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and think of the the passage. Uh, I was just. I'm doing my uh, my annual reread of The Lord of the Rings now, and I, so I'm I'm in the Two Towers now, and I just uh, so I just recently passed that 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 moment that really struck me in this regard at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring when they're going down the Anduin, and I forget whether it's Mary or Pippin says. Um, I always thought that when you when you you know it's still freezing here. I always thought that when you went south, it would be you know warm and merry uh, all the time. And Aragorn's like, well, actually, we're at almost we're at approximately the same latitude as the Shire, but uh, you know we you know we we haven't traveled far very far south yet. Um, he doesn't use the word latitude, of course, but that's basically what he's arguing. He's like you know we haven't got, actually gone very far. So I mean, Tolkien is really. Prompting his readers to hold a map in their minds, he doesn't just provide a map at the beginning of the book. He keeps bringing up the map and the geographical relationship of things um, in the story, and that's exactly what the films seem to not want to do. So, if you do that, um, you know, if you if, if you have in your you know if if you get a cut from one scene to another, like the famous thing about Radagast crossing the Misty Mountains with his bunny sled, um, you know, if if this scene comes up and you are holding the, and you have the map in your head, and you 're keeping it in your head you 're going to have a problem with it. The film does not seem interested in having us keep either either a map or a calendar in our minds as we 're watching it. Um, it. Just a lot of film time has elapsed between the one and the other, and so I think I, so I, I could certainly imagine him asking us just to roll with the fact that Merkwood, which was beginning to be corrupt, is you know that that has kind of escalated and it 's progressed um, that that i think and and I think that it could probably kind of work um, but especially since even the scene with Radagast gave a little bit of the impression that it was not just the corruption was not just carrying on but escalating, and also that it was kind of sudden right um, uh, uh you know also that it was that it was kind of a sudden shift because he's, like, running around and seeing dead animals all over the place, right? So this is not a, like, gosh, that makes the second dead fox I've seen in two months, you know. Uh, <laughs> and the, <laughs> like... and the, the
2: second oozing mushroom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, exactly. That's just not how it, how it was working in the film. So even there, there's this sense of, oh, my gosh, this is happening suddenly and broadly. Um, and even that glimpse, especially that glimpse that we had of the forest as he goes to Dol Guldur, um, we can certainly see that the forest around Dal Guldur is already in a fairly advanced state of, like, murkwoodification. I like that Murkification?
2: I like that murkwoodification. I'm going to remember that for when I write the, <laughs> the summary for the episode. Um, I, I, think it's good, I think there's a good possibility, like I think Dave kind of touched on this, you know, Jackson's love affair with speeding up time, it's. I think it's possible that that between the time we saw Radagast and the time that the company enters Merkwood, the cancer would have spread, you know, aggressively yeah. to the point where yeah. this is now no longer the wood that was Radagast was living in, and we may or, may very well see black animals at this point.
1: Yeah. Well, and see that that to me this is another question, um, which I think is a very interesting one because. I think that the nature of the corruption of Merkwood, I'm going to be really interested to see. Yeah, In the book, Merkwood is not a dead place. Um, it is a perverted place. It is like the animals, you know, Trisha, you were just saying, the animals aren't dying. They're, they, they, they've just been turned black. Right. Um... And apparently bad-tasting, too. I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Uh, but the squirrels are nasty, um, which uh, you know, which is, it's, I don't think he's making a general comment. I think that's supposed to be strange. Um, many people eat squirrels. Squirrel meat is not like... Inherently disgusting, any more than than any other game, small game of that kind. Um, so there does seem to be like the fact that when they finally do shoot a squirrel, it tastes awful. Does seem to be I I take that as kind of of a piece with the uh, with the darkening of the forest um, that there is something there is something sort of savage and unfriendly uh, and kind of antipathetic to them in the nature of these, squirrel, of these black squirrels now, um, that makes them foul-tasting. But anyway, um, but that's very different from lots of animals turning up dead and plants rotting. I mean, Radagast looks like he's looking at the beginning of a forest that's about to die and become a wasteland. Um, and so I'll be very interested to see, do they do... How do they make, you know, when the cancer spreads, what does that look like? How does yeah, That's it manifest actually itself? true.
2: That's, there is a distinct, real
1: distinction there. Yeah, and I think, I mean, <sighs> it seems like an easy thing to say, but I mean, I think that, that Tolkien's version is, is more subtle. I mean, it's much more subtle to have the animals kind of corrupted in their natures than to have them just killed off. Um, by the corrupting, and displaced, so you have like all the benevolent little woodland creatures, you know, all of the, all of the, you know, the foxes, and, and, you know, Sebastian and his whole family um, (laughs) replaced by evil creatures like vampire bats and spiders, Um, but, uh, but I, so yeah, so I guess, you know, one simple way to phrase this is, will there be black squirrels? will we see black squirrels and black moths? You know, that, that, that sense of even the moths, who seem to be innocent and not particularly malicious or venomous or anything, um, and even beautiful uh, in their way, um, yet have, even they have been, as it were, stained uh, by the evil spreading through Mirkwood, and they've been turned black. Um, that's, that's right, because in The Hobbit, the animal's nature themselves
2: I mean, doesn't seem to change right? I mean, we don't get, like, rabid squirrels attacking them or anything like that. I mean, it's...
1: Right. Though Though that's almost what Bjorn, like, might lead one to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the animals in there are strange. And this is Bjorn talking, right? Not only of it because, like, he is himself quite savage, um, but also because he's, like, you know, the big, you know, the big, bulky, ferocious Dr. Doolittle, right? I mean, he's... He's, he is, uh, he's the friend of animals um, and loves them in, as his children. And so Bjorn is like, yeah, the animals in there, like, they're a rough crowd, man. You know, like, they're, they're different. They're weird in there. Um, uh, and um, so uh, Bjorn does seem to suggest that the animals' natures have, in fact, changed, that they are indeed more ferocious and more malignant. Um, than they would normally be. You're right that we don't see evidence of it. I mean, we don't get them like attacked by rabid squirrels, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't see like uh, you know black deer coming out of the woods and 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 assaulting the party. You know, we don't see you know anything like that. Any any actual um, sort of active perversion of animal um, behavior. Uh, but, but Bjorn does suggest that that's, kind of, that, that's, that that's part of it.
2: Which, by the way, um. is, is actually, Craig Brewer said this a little while ago, and it kind of follows with what you just said in terms of the movie. Um, you know, if we do have sort of this speeding up of the, the perversion of the forest, uh, we may get that at Bjorn. I mean, Bjorn may be the one who basically
1: introduces that to right. us in the film. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Bjorn is definitely the logical person to give us a an update. Like, meanwhile, here's what's been happening in Mirkwood. <laughs> right. Because um, Radagast has been away, right? So, um, so yeah, dis- no, I agree. He disappeared
2: I- somewhere up on the Misty Mountains. We haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. The homeward journey with the bunny sled didn't go so well, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, now they're
2: going into the wind of with the wind, so it takes them longer.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. No, he ran into got got snowbound in the mountains and had to eat his rabbits. Um, but, uh, oh, God. <laughs> anyway, no, God. I was thinking they, something
2: more benign, like the rabbits ran away with them or something, you know. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no.
1: Anyway uh, – <laughs> It's like the Radagast version of the Donner Party. Anyway, no, um, we're, we're clearly going to see Radagast again. I mean, Radagast, I am sure, is going to successfully teleport across the mountains again. Um, but I gather, again, this, this I'm, I'm assuming, and this, of course, I mean, this is bad evidence because I'm going on other people's summary of the CinemaCon stuff from, like, last March or something. Right. Um, but... Um, But that meeting between Radagast and um, Gandalf, which we heard about from the CinemaCon clip, seems to be a film two thing now. I mean, that seems to be Gandalf after he's left the party um, and they've gone into Mirkwood. That's when we're going to get Radagast, again, that Gandalf is going to meet him again when Gandalf is doing his, like, whatever he's going to do. Solo investigation of Dol Guldur, it seems more likely searching for the tomb of the Nazgul, I guess, somewhere. I don't know. Um, uh, but anyway, um, so, but, but that, that certainly goes to say, I do suspect, therefore, that Bjorn is going to be like our, you know, eyes on the ground as far as Merkwood is concerned. Um, because Radagast is still off, you know, doing stuff and being uh, Gandalf's comical sidekick. But, um,
2: and, you know, Lexi anyway, brings up the white Heart, you know, except the white hearts found in yes. Workwood, but that gets us back to this fairy-like effect of the elves versus the black animals affected by yes. the perversion. So, yes. you know, that's going to be another yeah. one. I mean, I just wonder how much of that fairy-like you know the White Heart, the Enchanted Stream, the Bomber going to sleep, the feast that move. I mean, the elves' movable feast is what I call it. I, I wonder how much of that's right. going to be portrayed. You know, and initially I thought probably it would be get cut, but I mean, if he could lead the stone giants in,
1: who knows? What right, Jackson maybe it's time for yeah for the Black River and uh, and. Um. Bomber's sleep and the, and the deer. Yeah. No, and then again,
2: we're back to that conversation of how much we have to cover in movie two because we know at least we're going to see one conversation between Bilbo and Smog, if not the whole thing. That's a lot to
0: cover. Yeah. Sure is. It does make one wonder what's going to get cut from Rirkwood. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it seems, and it seems to me, it seems like the most likely candidates are sort of the kind of fantastical um, uh, fairy tale elements that, I agree. that maybe don't actually blend quite as well with the, you know, with the tone of the the tone of the film that we've seen so far. So I right. feel like, I feel like the way that the way that a lot of the the sequences up until the spider happen, where they're where they're chasing after the elven party and or feast, or whatever it is, and, and the, the mystical river and all that kind of stuff, just maybe, I don't know, I, I have a feeling those are going to be casualties of the editing mm-hmm. process. Well, and, you know, they and, and they're not really watching.
2: that much in keeping with the way that Jackson has portrayed elves thus far in his movies. So, I could, so I'm agreeing with Dave, you know, I could see them being cut, right. because he hasn't really, right. you know,
1: the yeah. el- Jackson's yeah. elves
2: don't have that kind of power. I still yeah. hope Bilbo no, climbs a tree,
1: though. <laughs> and now, enough, are you hoping for for you're hoping for the black emperors still?
2: Well, the, that's the even. Bombs? I'm hoping he climbs a tree, and boy, it should be sure would be good if there were blank, black emperors. Um, yeah, the butterflies. Yeah, but I'd be happy with yeah. the tree. I'd be happy if he just climbs a tree. We'll no. do that. Well, we'll no. do that as a conundrum later on.
1: All right. Will Bilbo climb a tree? No, Will Bilbo climb a tree? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that 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 is. Um, yeah, no, I think that is an interesting question, um, but yeah, well, see, here's here. I think, and I'm I'm gonna I'm kind of tipping my hand at least for half of the direction I'm gonna be going in the in the riddle later on. Um, I think that Peter Jackson is unlikely to depict the relationship between elves and Mirkwood as the book does, in the sense of. I think, especially with his, the way that he's been depicting the incipient darkness and the creeping evil infecting the forest, I think that um, he is almost bound to make a visual demarcation. You know, I, he's not going to just have the elves happy and peaceful and with the, their you know, their influence present and not have a visual distinction established. Um, And that doesn't happen in the book. We don't get a visual distinction. Mirkwood still looks as dark and threatening as ever when they are in the elven realm and when they are going up to the elves' feast. It just doesn't seem to... um, I get the... relationship between the darkness and the light there is is just is more complicated. It's less clear. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he can that he, Jackson can get away with that. I don't think he can just have like the dark and twisted and corrupted forest and then just have them meet some elves and be like, Hey, welcome to our place. You know, I mean he's gonna have to have a front if 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 he's gonna do it there has to be a frontier. I think he's gonna have to have a, like, now we leave the place where this spreading cancer of the forest is, you know, is moving, and now we enter into the as yet untouched elf realms. I mean, if he's going to depict an elf realm like that, I think he has to have a boundary, a clear visual distinction that way. It's hard for me to see how he could do that without it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, one of the
2: questions uh, is, you know, one of the things that I've wondered is, what is that going to look like? I mean, we know from the V-logs and, you know, whatever else, that Territorial and um, Legolas are supposed to be showing up at the spiders. Now, you know, do they show up just because they're out on a sortie, you know, because they're, yeah. they are in battle, you know, and they've been battling the evil in workwood Or, you know, I mean, I'm, that's what I've kind of assumed, which means that the you know, elves would probably be in battle mode.
1: Right, you'd think I mean thinking of the passage uh, uh, thinking of the passage in the book um, when Balin, when the rest of the dwarves, not Thorin, are brought in front of the elven king, one of the things that the and Balin is their spokesman, one of the things that uh, the elven king accuses them of is rousing the spiders with their riot and clamor um, and so. I could imagine, basically, you know, the spiders being being roused and the elves responding to that. Um, so that basically I could imagine when the dwarves get dragged back by the elves to be like, you know, you stirred up all this trouble. We had to go out and, you know, fight the spiders and maybe have casualties and stuff like that because you roused them and drew them on to attack. Um, so, you know, we had to go out and fight them. As a consequence, I could see the Elven sortie not basically not just being a routine sortie like we're out here with an armed force because we do that you know we we just like we often patrol through here and attack the spiders because we feel like it and so we just happen to be here and rescuing you now. Um, I could see this as basically like an emergency expedient because the spiders have been roused by the dwarves that I think would work, um, but. But I don't know an emergency well, let's, extraction, let's, right? I,
2: I, I've been watching too many CIA movies. You're right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes,
1: um, but let's save that for <clears throat> let's save that for next time because you know the elves um, the elves attack on the spiders. If indeed I must reconcile myself to that prospect, um, is uh, that that's what we'll we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in the spider episode. I
2: have multiple um, listeners, but so okay. So do you guys here. think that the do you think the uh, I need to give multiple before you go on. I need to give multiple yeah. listeners kudos here because several people have have told me that already in a vlog we have seen um, Bilbo climbing a tree and seeing black uh, butterflies. Okay, so I I,
1: I I I forgot that or I missed me that. Me too, me too.
2: And I uh, actually uh, Joshua me? Bowden has given us um, uh, a link which I will go take a look at and uh, pass it along if it seems uh, like uh, worth sharing. Okay, go, cool.
1: go. Cool. Go, yeah, no, good. I I forgot to remember
0: something about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, here's of course one possibility which was raised. I know Scott Holbrook Faust raised this, and I think I I heard it some other places too. um, That I know it was one of the first things that he said in response to seeing uh, Thranduil's elk um, was, you know, could they basically keep the apparently transgressive deer shooting? by the dwarves, uh, and um, but actually give it a more sort of practical, um, a more practical connection. That is like, oh god, it, they're going to shoot the elk, or one of the yeah, yeah, exactly. That they're going to they that you know that they can, they could keep the deer shooting thing, but instead of having it be the deer incident, I think even much more than the river, the deer incident in Mirkwood is the strangest, most random moment possibly in the entire hobbit with the oh, possible that can exception really piss of the off of if they kill his elk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I actually I kind of like this idea. The idea of taking taking that element of Thorin shooting a deer um, and playing it into the antipathy between Thorin and Thranduel, uh, and making it not just like a strange and mostly inexplicable Eerie moment, um, but instead giving it a very practical um, role in the plot um, to greatly increase the grudge between them. Not that it necessarily has to be the elk upon which Thranduil rides, but you know, basically that those animals are, you know, the the friends and mounts of the elves, and uh, that they get in trouble for 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 killing one. But you know, there's an element in this. It makes me think, and I don't know necessarily that the filmmakers will be thinking about this, um, but but it makes me think delightfully of the Aeneid because, of course, anybody who remembers the Aeneid will remember that's what happens actually. A deer, uh, the the thing that sparks off the hostilities, the reasons that the that that Aeneas's Trojans. And uh, the the native uh, people, uh, the, uh, the Latins, the people of Latium, um, they're all making an alliance. They're going to be happy. You know Lavinia is going to be given to Aeneas, and everybody's going to settle down cheerfully until the incident with the tame deer. Uh, there's this tame deer who belongs to, uh, uh, who belongs to one of the the, the, the Latin peoples, and Aeneas' son. Um, Ascanius kills it hunting, um, but it like staggers back uh, with its arrow wound uh, to its uh, to its home, you know, to its masters, and then dies in their arms, and they get furious and they attack the Trojans, and the whole thing blows up. Um, so like you know, this could, t- <laughs> this could totally work. Um, you know, there's a, there's a delightful classical precedent for this. So, uh, so I could see, I could see that element being kind of retained uh, in that kind of a more pragmatic way, um, especially with the with the uh, the way in which the um, the the and the antagonism between Thorin and Thranduil is has been set up so strongly in film one. Um, I could see sort of adding another another insult uh insult to, that. to injury yeah exactly uh you know even uh i mean Heck, uh, g- given how they described it uh, in the previous, you know, in the first film, you can even see Thorin doing it quite on purpose, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not by accident at all. Hey, that, that looks fun. like Randall's elk. I think I'll kill it. <laughs> <laughs> you <know? I> mean, <laughs> that's not hard to imagine, uh, you know. And you know, this conversation with, like, you know, God, like, uh, you killed my elk. Yes, and it was tasty. You know, I mean you could see. Kind of guy, and I would do it
2: again. Um, well and one of the things you and I talked about, Corey, before we came on board was um was also the fact that if they are if the elves are under siege, you know, that could be Thorn going, Well aren't
1: you sorry now that you didn't come to our age? Right, Couldn't exactly. you use some help now? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's because you know, to me, this is one of the one of the bigger questions um, involved with Merkwood Here is not just about the the way the forest and the corruption itself will be depicted, but what is going to be the status of the Elven King and his kingdom? Um, are basically, I mean, to put it bluntly, are they in trouble? They're not in trouble in the book. They're at peace in the book. I mean, yeah, Merkwood is kind of gloomy these days, uh, and there definitely is a sinister influence, and they're not real happy about it. Um, but by and large, they're at peace, uh, and they're you know comfortable. There's no there's no there's no crisis in the Elven realm. Um, is there go, are, you know, are we going to get? Is Peter Jackson going to depict the Elven realm in a state of crisis? Um, and. Um, and it, it has a, a lot of implications. You know, how does this, how does that fit in with the Thorin plot, um, which you know we can see that fitting in well? But also, looking forwards, it um, it leads to the elves' involvement in the Battle of Five Armies as well. Why I just had another. I just
2: had another Star Trek flash. Battle stations, red <laughs>
1: alert. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> is that, the, is, is, is that the, you know, are they on standby? You know, do we, will we see the elves in their battle stations? Again, is there a problem? Is there a crisis? Um, are we going to see an elven realm at peace? Because, of course, one of the difficulties is that if we do see an elven realm at peace, their involvement in the Battle of Five Armies is harder to justify. Mm. Um, and indeed, in the in the Hobbit drafts, I mean, uh, you know, it's one thing that I find very striking. One of the one of the probably five, I, I one of the top five most striking things I find about the earlier drafts when you read uh, the history of the Hobbit um, is. How nasty the Elven King is! I mean, the Elven King is a grade A jerk in the first versions of the story that Tolkien wrote. As he revised it, he made the the Elven King gets a little bit nicer with every single revision. Until in the published Hobbit, he's 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 quite a decent guy. Um, but uh, but even in the published version, although he's a decent guy, there's still really no justification for him marching in force on the Lonely Mountain of his bringing an army. Uh, you know, his going to the rescue and 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 uh, and and helping the refugees of Lake Town is kind and good, but he didn't need an army for that. And there's just there's and and he wasn't going there when the uh, when the. The men of Lake Town go up to, you know, to go to beg for help of the Elven King after the destruction of the town. They meet an army on the march already, and it wasn't heading to Lake Town to help them. It was heading, it was marching on the Lonely Mountain, presumably, to claim the treasure. I mean, the Elven King is simply on a profiteering uh, mission here. And it, that's one of the consequences of having the Elven realm strong and at peace, is that there's no, they have no need... To fill. Why is the Elven King doing this? Because he quite likes treasure and would rather have more than he has right now. That's that's his motivation. That's all we're given of it. Um, if there's a crisis, if there's a need, if the uh, the the you know the later events are going to be brought into you know sort of a struggle in which his kingdom is already engaged. It changes the situation a lot. And one of the ways in which it changes it, I think, is to make his involvement perhaps less mm, sketchy. Less, less morally questionable, because um, in the book, I mean, it's morally questionable the Elven King's action. Um, you know, he can say later all he wants. Oh, I'm, you know, long shall I tarry ere I started this war for gold. Well, maybe you should have tarried a little <laughs> longer before you marched out with your army, Bucko, if that was your, if that was your attitude. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's he's he's not just not totally, uh, totally above board there. That's true. Uh, Don't they? They make a statement at some
0: point that you know. Um, they, they have sort of a similar claim to to what the the men of Dale and Lake Town have, which is a lot of the treasure that's in there was actually ours to begin with and was stolen from us um, Or and and we've suffered at the hands of the dragon as much as anybody and we deserve recompense but, you know, but, but it's kind of just a passing comment you don't really see it you're like, it sounds very fishy <laughs>
1: yeah, and I mean it's, I don't think it's, it's not explicitly that the dragon stole from them um when when bard brings it up bard seems to be basically saying you know the elven king is my friend and he succored our people in our need um you know so like i'm happy to share with him <laughs> um but there doesn't seem to be ever really any official just claim that the elves really can offer um uh <laughs> Which is, actually, it's one of the things that I think, um, of all of the bad things that Thorin does and says um, during that stage, one of the things which is to me the most justifiable is his defiance of the Elven King. You know, when he's in the middle of refusing bard's quite just and sensible claims on part of the treasure, um, that's quite bad. But when he says, you know, uh, and... You know, and I, I'm not going to talk at all to the Elven King, whom I remember with small kindness. You know, I'm like, well, you know, that's tough but fair. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the Elven King has no good claim and, uh, and no real reason to expect Thorin. Maybe, you know, he has good reason to expect Bard to want to share with him, but he has no reason for Thorin to expect Thorin to want to share with him. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's, it's, I think, the most uh, easy to support. Oh, hey,
2: I want to I back up a second because Owen sent us a link, and I shared it with you guys in the chat space, that shows the dwarves carrying Bomber in the forest.
1: Oh, It's the I second link I sent. The first link I that. sent is
2: one where uh, Bilbo is obviously at, uh, at the top of some trees, but I don't see any butterflies. But the thing about carrying Bomber, it's like, oh, that's an interesting picture.
1: Okay. Oh, and you're sharing Very it. How awesome is that. Very interesting. Yeah, see, that is exactly what I was not sure we were gonna see. Um in fact when I was when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, um that scene is gonna be awkward. Especially now, what I would suspect is that it's gonna last less long. I mean in the book right. they carry bumber for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and on film i would think on screen i would think that would get old pretty quickly um but uh
2: now thorin is there he was there wasn't he? bomber bomber yep. got enchanted before thorin disappeared okay in the book oh
1: yes. well, yeah yeah bomber is enchanted and then they go on for a long time and then they uh then they encounter the elves just as they're about to starve um bomber wakes up they encounter the elves got it. get captured by the spider right. so yeah yep so, so another question
0: is, um, what will be the nature of Bomber's condition? So, right, like, like I, I could easily see in sort of a, you know, in sort of the more, more dark, gritty, realistic, um, Peter Jackson version of the story that Bomber just uh, uh, approves some injury, uh, doesn't, as opposed to falling into a, a magical river and mysteriously right. falling asleep. Um, so, 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 so to me, the the the, sh- the shot of them carrying Bomber uh, seems less suggestive than than it otherwise might. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that we we as Tolkien fans we tend to jump on and say, "Aha! They're doing it!" You know, the right. thing from the book that we wondered whether they would do it or not. But, you know, not so fast. It's entirely possible that they're taking that idea of one of the one of the party in, and indeed the same character becomes incapacitated, but it could maybe happen in a different way. I'm not saying it will. I would say in all likelihood they probably are doing some version of of him falling asleep. But I don't know. I I just wonder how well is that going to play with the mainstream audience, like the idea that the guy's just, like, asleep? I don't know. Yeah. Brianna
2: brings up that they could use the bomber thing for some comedic, you know, some
0: comedic break oh that that seems like a virtual guarantee
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the 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 having to lug around fat bomber yeah i mean that that's gotta happen for laughs right but but still how does it happen and how does it hmm yeah that's gonna be interesting what because see here's the thing I, again, this comes back to what I started off talking about—that is, the the way in which in Mirkwood we get both the 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 sense of corruption, but also just the sense of strange fairy power and um, you know magic otherworld. The the stream does not seem to be malignant. Does not as I mean I don't think there's. Very clear evidence to suggest that the stream is a product of the corruption of Mirkwood. Um, and in fact, it, it seems quite clearly tied to elven magic mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. way, under the influence of the magical sleep, he dreams of the elven feasts. He has, in fact, a true dream. He is in his dreaming world when he falls asleep from the river, in a sense, taken into the fairy realm. Um, and sees them feasting, and then he returns, and they find that same thing physically, but he 's able to predict exactly what they 're going to see because he 's seen it in his sleep um, so in other words it 's a fairy river it's not it 's not a necromancer river, um, but if in this forest that we 're seeing here, they are you know he's going to fall into a river, I could imagine them putting a black river in the forest, as sort of a sign of the rapidly spreading cancer, even a mechanism of the rapidly spreading cancer of the forest. <coughs> you think, excuse me, you think about the, the like, black semi-liquid, semi-gaseous substance that was extracted from Sebastian the Hedgehog uh, by Radagast, right, in his little oh, crystal? Oh,
2: yeah, 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 that's right.
1: Um, there is that sense of, like, you know, this this dark influence that has permeated it. And so that same kind of blackness I could see, like, now they find a whole stream that's full of this kind of dark influence, and it's corrupting and killing things all along the way. But if Bomber falls into that, if, like, basically, if Bomber is not in an elven sleep here, is not under elven enchantment, but is instead, um, you know, like, in need of a little... Uh, well, uh, presumably a much larger little hedgehog exorcism by Radagast. Uh, you know, if he's then then that really that totally changes the dynamic. Um, again, in other words, I think that there he's going to have to make it unified. Uh, you know, if it's dark and sinister and twisted and corrupted and evil, its influence is going to have to be dark and evil, and he's not going to be able to just intersperse random, not quite benevolent but not evil and destructive fairy magic like we get in the book with the stream especially
0: yeah
2: let's see owen a, I, owen uh, owen okay. says that maybe it's a it could be a defensive boundary you know by the elves the enchanted stream
1: right yes but if so are, they've crossed it here presumably and um if that's elf because territory spiders yet right, so yeah, right, if that's elf territory, it doesn't look any different from the rest of it, um so if it was a defensive boundary, uh it doesn't seem to be working um. <laughs> At least, as far as the evil of the forest is concerned, or the evil that explains
0: why the elves want the treasure—they—they—they're really low on resources, and right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's It's, it's just they have just major infrastructure campaign. investments yeah, that they exactly, hope to make. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, they have got they they've, their public works projects are long overdue. You know, they are they are That's why. Yeah, yeah. So this is
0: a this this is a good this is a good sort of uh question because i i wonder if the distinction between sort of the evil parts of Mirkwood and the sort of um you know perilous but not evil parts is just not not going to work very well on the on the um, on screen uh, and, yeah. and and certainly won't be received or underst- or or fully understood by by the mainstream audience yeah i think I mean, that would just it's be something confusing. that i think even I think I think even many Tolkien fans, in reading *The Hobbit*, without having taken, you know, uninformed by, not not informed by Corey's class, probably <laughs> miss it even in reading the book. That which which things of the forest are the things that are dangerous because um, because because it's being corrupted, and which things are dangerous because it's a because because we've wandered into a part of fairy, and and. You know, and it and and it's and it's not necessarily those readers' faults for being confused because those two things are are sort of uh, are conflicting. Yeah, actually, going back to Melian's myrtle, it's it, uh, myrtle. or girdle. It, it, yeah. so it's actually very similar to what's described in the Silmarillion there that that, mm-hmm. that part of the reason there's regions of of Balerian that are that are really, really dangerous and sort of maddening and scary and I, I think it's Baron who travels through them. Yes, through the it's because of the interaction between between Morgoth's power and Melian's power, right?
1: Yeah. So you get yeah, sort yeah, of the same years. thing going on here. Yeah. I mean, see, I think that they can do that boundary, but it it's gonna have a huge impact On the 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 viewer the film viewer's sense of the stature of the elves. See, like we can do this in Lorien, right? I mean, Lorien is is is. I I mean, we can talk about Doriath, and of course, in a in from a Tolkien standpoint, the Girdle of Melian is the archetype of this. But even from a from a from a film standpoint, it's really it's Galadriel and Lorien who which which serve as the as the primary role model. Lórien can be we can come right out of Moria and jog for a very short period of time apparently in the film. Uh, and th- there we are uh, at the boundaries of Lórien. And the boundaries of Lórien are very clear, right? Here now we enter Lórien and here we you know we might have to be afraid of elves like coming out and shooting us uh, uh, from the woods, but we don't have to be worried about the orcs anymore. Like one once we get here, like the orcs aren't going to come here. We have crossed the boundary where these evil things are not going to come. Um, but that is because Galadriel is there, and that is a it is a testimony to her stature because she is all that she is able by the power you know by her own power uh, to keep evil at bay, which is again basically how it worked with Melian too. Um, if we get a boundary in Merkwood, I mean, if they, you know, if they, they, you know, in this shot here, they apparently haven't crossed it yet. But if they do cross it, you know, if if we get a boundary of where now the spiders can't come and where, uh, where these, you know, these twisted and and, uh, and uh, you know, leprous trees are are no longer, you know, now everything's green and pretty like it was at the beginning, you know, in 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 around Radagast's house. If we get that kind of boundary, that could work, but it would mean, it would inescapably give the impression that Thranduil is like Galadriel. You know, that Thranduil is so powerful that the wood elves, by their nature, are so, you know, that they that they are able to, you know, have this realm which evil cannot touch. Um, hey, he's got a pretty sparkly coat and
2: some kind of really, you know, radical crown, so he may be
1: <laughs> equal in stature he's to positive. Galadriel. <laughs> But can he really keep evil at bay with yeah. those eyebrows? See, that's <laughs> what I really want I, I just so Corey. Um, in reading the in reading
0: the Hobbit, sort of as a standalone, you mm-hmm. know, not as not as, not in the context of the larger work. Like reading 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 the pre Lord of the Rings published Hobbit. How how are we supposed to understand um, the the Elven King's power there? Like, is he somebody who kind of keeps evil at bay? Well,
1: he's not, I mean, yes. Yes, but it's not the same as Goadriel or Melian. Um, that is, there's no boundary. There's no, you know... Within this enclave is peace, and evil things can't possibly come anywhere like within a ten-mile radius of his halls. We don't see that. We don't. There's no threshold that, other than the thre- threshold of his kingdom itself through his magic gates, um, there's no threshold that they cross. That now they're in, um, you know, his realm. But we do have that sense of his power, uh, of or that sort uh, of the power of the elves in general. The path. That the elves made through mirkwood and which their magic protects, the spiders can't, uh, can't damage you know they can't spread, spread their webs across the path. Um, they seem to be simply prevented magically from doing that. Um, when the spiders are pursuing Bilbo and the dwarves after the rescue, Bilbo and the dwarves come to the play, to one of the clearings where the, you know to one of the elf circles. Where the where one of the where the feast was happening and the spiders don't come, uh, you know. Th- so there is a sense that they have that they do have that kind of that they do have that kind of authority. Even the fact that they do seem to be, as I was suggesting before, living in peace in Merkwood. Um, they don't, you don't get the impression, I mean, you listen to the barrel elves for crying out loud. Do they sound like a people at war? Do they sound like a people under siege? Uh, no, they don't. Um, they seem to be living a perfectly peaceful and well-adjusted life there. Now, the forest is still dark, and they are, they react with happiness. They react with joy um, when they... Uh, when they learn that the necromancer is think that the greenwood will now be greener and brighter uh, and uh, and 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 happier and more merry as it says in 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 the text so that's gonna be great but they were fine <laughs> you know if they were okay uh, they were not in trouble and they do seem to be you know it's not like by you know, by dint of arms, you know, by force of arms, they they have to keep the spiders at bay. Uh, you know, and every year it gets harder for them to fight off the spiders. That that is not what we're what I think the Hobbit itself suggests about the stature of the elves and their and their status. So they don't have this, you know, we have a, a completely separate and inviolate realm thing going on, like Lorien, even like Rivendell, um, and uh, and certainly like Doriath. But you know, where they are, the spiders don't come. Where they've been, the spiders don't come. Where they sort of establish their magic, the spiders can't go. Um, thinking of the path. So um uh so 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 yeah, they do have they do have that seems to be part of this overall you are entering into the fairy other world, you are coming into the power of elves, um, you know, of, and, and they, until literally they are taken captive by them, and that, you know, the imprisonment, it's easy for us to think of that as a purely kind of, you know, in, in a purely physical sense, like, you know, it's like, just like the, the, the elf dwarf hostage crisis there, but thinking about it, you know, as you were saying, uh, with the Hobbit as a standalone work, and with that fairy tale tradition, Trish, that you and I were talking about before, of course, getting swept away and taken into the land of the elves and to be held by them and never to be seen again uh by uh by any other mortal creature that's a continual danger that's one of the most persistent dangers of dealing with the elves that's one of the things that's, if you wander into ferry that's one of the things that's likeliest to happen to you is that you will find yourself uh, uh you know captured that you will find yourself taken um, and that you will disappear and never be seen again, like Thorin almost was. So there's something the Elven, the uh, Bilbo in the Elven King's dungeon. Always, to me, thinking of it from that standpoint, thinking of it from the standpo- the standpoint of the fairy tale tradition that it is uh, that that Tolkien has been invoking throughout Chapter Eight. Um, the the Bilbo in the dungeon of the Elven King always has this sort of delightfully backstage. Um, sense for me, you know, that's like you ever wonder what happens to those people who get whisked away to fairy and you never see them again. Well, you know, here's like Bilbo, our little thief, who's going to go about and actually bail, you know, pick the locks of the elven jails. And there's something that's almost comical about that, you know, like like you know, to to sort of literalize it in the sense of actual jail cells whose locks can be picked, uh, and he can break them out of fairy. Um, you know, and that's actually what I... Um,
2: and that he can affect the escape by getting the gatekeeper drunk, too, is kind of comical.
1: Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, that's 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 why I, I think, if I remember correctly, I titled the um, chapter 9 of my book, The Analysis of the of the uh, Barrels at a Bond Chapter, um, Burgling Fairy, because, <laughs> and that's what I was kind of trying to point to, is that I think there is that kind of comical element um, when you know bilbo goes to the fairy otherworld and uh and it becomes a prison break um right. and that's I, I mean i think there is uh, that 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 is funny and funny in a way that that uh, you know with a different kind of comedy I think uh than than some of the rest of the hobbit
0: but it's not it 's not quite what what you imagine when you think uh, in the in the fairy tradition of people being whisked away to right right sort of think like oh they 've gone off to a magical realm that you know it, and it sort of has that it 's perilous but it's it 's you know not that big
1: it, it's pretty nice for them <laughs> right
0: no actually they were just thrown in prison
1: <laughs> right right yeah yeah exactly um so, uh, so yeah, so no, I've, but, but again, thinking, you know, coming back to, um, to Jackson's depiction, I mean, there are two factors here. You know, one is the way that he set it up within the film, the first film itself, of course. But the other one, where I where I would want to start, even before I talk about that, is with the mere fact that he is working from a post Lord of the Rings standpoint. Um, in the standalone Hobbit, the only thing we have to compare um, the woodland realm of Mirkwood to is Rivendell. I mean, we get two different sets of elves in this book, and we are invited to contrast them with each other. We are told, um, you know, because he gives that whole introduction to who the wood elves are and how they're not the high elves and they, they're, they, you know, they're, 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 they're different from them, we get that little funny kind of one-paragraph gesture towards the Silmarillion tradition um in uh um in in the Hobbit. But um but from a post Lord of the Rings standpoint, um, you know, from the, the assimilated Hobbit, um we have the contrast between the the uh realm in Mirkwood and Lorien, for instance. We know that um, you know we've been told Tolkien has established that Thranduil you know might be a, a perfectly nice king of elves, but he is not. Uh, he is not on the same level as Galadriel. Um, you know, he's not on the same level as Elrond. I mean, you know, that Thranduil is nice, but he is totally a B-list elven king. I mean, there's just no two ways about that. Um, so I think operating within that framework, um, uh, Jackson is going to. I don't think that he can make Thranduil to be you know a great lord with the same kind of stature and authority that Goadriel and kelleborn have um, so I don't expect to see that and I think that we see him set that up in film one the very fact that he has Thranduil, the elven king not just be an ally of the dwarves, but actually I, I, I swear fealty to thror um, that was one of the things that I found most striking about uh, the depiction of Thranduil in film one was that was not his, um, you know, his failure to come to the aid of the dwarves. What was to me more striking than that was the fact that he actually swore fealty, um, not just not just friendship, but fealty. Did he actually? Um,
2: did he, they actually uh, said
1: fealty in the movie? Didn't they?
2: Yes. Because yes, I, I kind of delighted I mean, over that. I always thought it was just, like, one king coming to just sort of, you know, be respectful, you know, like a respectful visit to another, the neighboring kingdom kind of thing.
1: Maybe that's what they meant. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm placing too much emphasis on, but I was, but I remember it was one of the things that, like, made me rock back in my seat when I saw the film for the first time. Uh, You know, I was like, well, that changes dynamics entirely. I mean, that's, um, if he's going to be actually, like, a subject uh, uh, king, under thrower. um, then, yeah, I mean, now we're in a totally different world, um, so, I mean, maybe it's, de- but, but see, even, even visually, even if we say, okay, they didn't really mean fealty in like a rigid feudal sense, um, you know, that he's not actually swearing to serve Thror. He's just, as you say, he's declaring himself to be his ally. Right. But still, the way that they presented that with Thror sitting on his throne and the Elven King bowing before him, uh, there, it is clear who is in charge there. Yeah. You know, it is, they, the way that they set that up, it's that even if he is swearing to come as an ally, he is a lesser. Out, right, you know, and right, he is right. um, in a in a, a subordinate, if not subservient, at least a subordinate position to Thor. Um, and which, which again, and the the change that it makes is it puts the you know the 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 Elven kings uh, you know failure to help the dwarves at least in Thorin's mind um, not in the um, category of. You know, like a, a friend failing. You know, a, a friend letting you down. But of treason, right? You know, I mean that's right like that he broke his, his word. word. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. That he, I mean, he made a vow and broke it. Right. Um. You know, not just like hey, you know, hey, when like the cards were, you know, the cards were down, you know, you, you didn't come through. It's not that. I mean, it's actual betrayal. Right. Um. And um. And therefore, also, uh, it totally changes the dynamics of imprisoning Thorin. Um. You know, be like, oh, so you're going to compound your previous treachery by now imprisoning the heir of your rightful king? Oh, wait, not the heir of your rightful king. Your rightful king. In fact, <laughs> I am your king. You should be swearing fealty to me right now, and instead you're putting me in prison. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big deal, <laughs> um, if that indeed is going to be. The, so, so, But anyway, my, my, my main point, coming back to the, to the larger question of sort of the stature and depiction of the elves in the film, and what I would expect from it, for these reasons, I don't expect the elves to have, you know, a Galadriel-esque presence, a mm-hmm. Galadriel-esque mm-hmm. stature. Um, I think that they're going to be more minor. Um, you know, I think that they're going to be depicted as weaker. Um, so
2: you know, which is interesting because yeah. they, you know, he did, he never did make really that distinction, like in the Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, he's kind of. Unlike what he does with orcs, Jackson sort of makes elves elves, whereas Tolkien does that's the opposite.
1: You know, that's a good point. I mean, even think of uh, you know, the, when you said that the you know the image of Legolas greeting Haldir when Haldir right. shows up at Helm's Deep. You know, and there's that there's that total sense of brotherhood between them. Right. Um, yeah, you're right. Elves are elves. They even look alike. Um, <laughs> right. You know, they're uh, the the um, yeah. Um, so that's
2: going to be kind of interesting to see. Yeah, know, how he does. That. Yeah, I mean,
1: but of course, I mean, we weren't getting Thranduil there. You know, we weren't getting their realms, and it's and it's clear elves may be elves, but Galadriel is Galadriel. <laughs> you know, I mean that 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 still is pretty well established in the film. Um, so, I mean, I can't imagine Thranduil is gonna is gonna come anywhere near Galadriel's stature. No, right. Um, right. But yeah. Um, but no, it'd be, I'm, 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 still, I'm still like in the back of my mind rolling over the whole bomber question, because, you know, if, if he's not enchanted by elf magic, which I agree with you, it would it'd be hard to see how they could convey that. Um, if he's not, then presumably he's going to be overcome by the evil power of Mirkwood you know the the evil like again whatever it was that was infecting Sebastian the hedgehog will be infecting Bomber which means he's not just going to sleep for a while like a couple weeks and then wake up he's going to need healing he's right. going to need like radagast with his little crystal you know he's going to need uh, he's going to he's going to need help uh, and I I you know where is he going to find that is he still going to be sick when the spiders capture him is is that is this going to be something I mean is that, like are the elves going to cure him uh, I mean presumably he's going to live um so yeah I just I'm I'm still kind of I'm still kind of uh thinking through the implications of because before uh before Owen very, very uh very inconveniently showed us that picture <laughs> I had I had made up in my mind that we were definitely not going to see bomber being carried so uh so yeah thanks a lot for that uh but uh <laughs> no but it's it's very it, it to me it raises a lot of questions um I know Dave do you have any theories about that uh i don't know i it, it's it's
0: uh, that's a good question Um 'cause because I, I I have this I just feel like the the audience if, if indeed he falls in the river and um, and in walking through the forest mostly we 're walking through sort of the the dark, corrupted murkwood version yeah. of the forest as we 've seen it in the film and, and even as it 's described in the book, I have a feeling that if he just falls in the river and suddenly falls asleep, that the mainstream audience isn 't going to under, be able to grasp a distinction between. Oh yep. well, right. No, this is not because he. This is not because of the corruption in the force. This is due to the elven magic, right, very and right. All that. I, right. It just seems like that's a bit nope. much.
1: I agree. So now, okay, here's 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 a thought that just occurred to me. Remember, one of the issues in the book with Thorin and the elven king is that Thorin feels that he is, you know, being obviously wrongly imprisoned, um, but that. The elves are just being completely needlessly suspicious. Um, you know, remember Thorin keeps saying when the Elven King is interrogating him, "What were you doing? You know, why did you attack us?" They said, "We didn't attack you. We came to beg for food because we were starving." Um, and Balin says it even more bluntly. You know, is it is it is it a crime? Is it a crime to be lost in the forest? To be starving to death? To be attacked by spiders? Uh, you know, like like for for what of these things are we being imprisoned um, and if bomber is indeed not under some kind of eerie but semi benevolent elf magic spell but rather you know cur, you know under the you know sick with whatever corruption um, you know, almost did in Sebastian the Hedgehog, if that's the case, if what they are seeking is not only food, but healing for Bumber, that could be the urgency. Um, Starving to death doesn't work so well on film. Um, Like, in general. (laughs) There's a teaser for you. You know, I mean, well, like, seriously, like, it's just not very dramatic on screen. Like, okay, um another day and we haven't had food. I mean you can do it. It's not that you can't do it. So I mean they may show them being hungry, but it's hard but but I could see the urgency that they come to being the urgency of trying to save Bomber's life. Right. Being like, you know, that Bomber is getting sense. sicker, Bomber's about to die. We've got to get him help. Um and so that basically now Thorin is 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 in a similar position where instead of being like you know is it a crime to be lost in the forest and to be starving and, and, and begging for food is it be like is it a crime to be trying to save the life of my you know my friend is under is is like been you know harmed is sick is about to die i'm trying to find someone to help not only are you not helping, but you're you're like imprisoning me for this. Like you're treating me like a criminal. Oh, that's true. And then they could connect it back
0: to oh, but I guess you know trying to help people who are who are in trouble. I guess you guys wouldn't know anything about
1: that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Typical. Just what I should have expected from you losers. Right. Exactly. You know, you could easily see it dovetailing with that. Like, and by the way, show me your deer. I want to kill it. Um. So yeah. You know, it's like it, totally. It could absolutely work. Um. But um. Uh, anyway, so um, uh, I, I, I think that this um, I I I definitely think that this could be uh, that could be a way that it could work. It's the only thing that makes sense to me right offhand um, uh, as uh, as a way that they can still do the you know comatose bomber.
2: Now, so he will if, if if that follows. I mean, we're assuming that the uh, yeah the the stream or his going out like he's going out. It has to happen before the spider. So, I mean, I know we're going to talk about spiders later, but it sounds to me like then he's probably going to get wound up in a in a spider web and still be unconscious.
1: I uh, one would think. I mean, that's I guess, the only thing. I – Yeah, it's the only thing I can think of. I mean unless there's some other intervention that they find. Um, you know, I don't know, from what? you know, Does Radagast come in? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I could imagine them doing something a little unexpected there, them adding an incident or transplanting an incident from somewhere else um, to as a kind of a transition or an initial stage prior to meeting the elves and prior to getting to Thranduil's kingdom. Um, I'm not quite sure what that would be. That's why I call it unexpected, but I don't know, Um, you know, because yeah, it it is hard to imagine where else, other than from the elves, if he is in fact sick and in need of healing, where else, other than from Thranduil's people, would they get it at that point? Um, So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see. Actually, uh, uh, could I pause for just a second? Um, i gotta, I got to want to do something for like 30 seconds. I'll be oh, right I back. Oh, I think David and I can hold okay. the we'll, fort we'll down. we carry it on, on for a second. I'll be right back.
2: Okay. <laughs> I am very happy to report Sarah Lee has made my day. She has sent me a, a picture of Bilbo and black butterflies. Oh, uh, really? I'm going to send you that. Yeah, I'm going to send you that. Uh, From one of the trailers? Yeah, well it's on Pinterest, but um yeah, but apparently it's from the trailer. It's kinda like the picture from before, only now there's actually butterflies. Well, they could be like really big um pieces of ash, but I think they're butterflies. I'm pretty sure they're butterflies. <laughs> 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 so yeah, yeah fact, so good. So that? I'm at least have that to look forward <laughs> to.
0: Okay. Black butterflies. Yay. Okay. Yeah, we found it, found it. We have the picture of the black butterflies, Corey.
2: Okay, the black butterflies have been confirmed. Thank you, Sarah Lee. Is, is, is that the
1: is, is that the Pinterest? Yeah, one?
0: that's the
2: Pinterest link.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And like I say, they could be large um, pieces of ash, but I think they're butterflies. Why is it not coming up? That's weird. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh yeah. There we go. Yep. Now, you know, somebody that had not read the book, that picture looks really weird, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, where is he? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, by the way, I love that little picture yeah. of the ring next to it, the little one
1: reading – the ring reading a book. <laughs> I assume the ring is oh, reading yeah. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Well, I saw, I saw uh, it clearly in that same line, because it was the same drawing of the ring. Um, when I was in Las Vegas, somebody had a T-shirt of the ring like that. It was reading, um, reading the, the Lord. you could see it was, it was reading the end of The Return of the King. And it has this <laughs> look of horror on its face. You know, it was like its mouth is gaping open, and it's like, ah! <laughs> anyway, I thought that was a Oh, thing. my. Um, but uh anyway <laughs> um yeah well no, uh, there we go that, those those there those are definitely butterflies,
2: yeah, interesting, oh gosh, so we've got the him climbing the tree with the black butterflies, and we've got bomber being carried. This is you know curiouser and curiouser, as far as I'm concerned,
1: yeah.
2: Well, what do you think? Should we go to the riddle, or
1: uh, you know should we? yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and go to the riddle. OK, so I've been kind of uh, heavily hinting at the riddle uh, <laughs> uh, to a greater extent during this one than I normally have been, but, um, uh, but here's the riddle. So basically the riddle is about the elves and uh, the encroaching evil in Merkwood. So basically how those things are how, how he's going to treat these things. So okay, so here are our, our options. Option A: the book answer. The forest is uniformly dark with no boundary. That is to say, there's no, um, well, here, okay, let me back up a second. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're not nervous about this riddle because I have to do so much explaining. I but know. anyway, here it is. Right, I'm, I'm going to explain it anyway. Basically, for this riddle, there are two questions that you have to ask yourselves. Uh, two simple questions. Que- uh, number one, will there be a visual boundary with a peaceful, happy elven realm? Um, will we get a transition? You know, we cross a, a, cross a visual boundary from the dark and twisted Mirkwood that we see here in the Bomber picture to you know, a happy Lothlorien-like, uh, you know, beautiful, peaceful elven realm. Will we get that? That's, I, that, I think, is one thing that he could do uh, to show the realm of the Elven King and how the darkness has not gotten there yet. So Okay, so question number one, will we get that? Will we get that kind of a boundary or not? Will the dark, twisted trees go right up to the gates of the Elven King's Hall? Um, Question number two, then, is, are the elves at peace? Will we see confident elves living living essentially at peace with their surroundings, or are we going to see the elves in a state of siege? Are we going to see them at war? Are we going to see the elves, and this again goes back to the question that I asked a little while back, are the elves in trouble? Will we see the elves uh, struggling um, against the the encroaching darkness? Are Are they threatened? Are they in crisis? So here are the four options. Option A: The forest is uniformly dark with no light-dark boundary, but the elves are living at peace. So that's the book answer. So the book answer is uh, no, there is no visible boundary where we get the peaceful elven kingdom inside and the dark markwood outside, but the elves are at peace; they're not in crisis. Option B: The forest is uniformly dark with no boundary, and the elves are living in a state of siege. So this is again no, there's no boundary but the elves are not at peace. So here I would expect to see, like, you know, spiders spinning webs in the trees right outside the gates, you know, the elves possibly having to take armed sorties every once in a while, um, possibly even... Coming under attack by the spiders, you know them being in a state of crisis and like you know something is going on in the forest our our, our land our realm is crumbling around us, you know we are uh, we are living on a little island, and the tide is coming in. is that the sense of things um, in the elven realm um, c uh, there is a, uh, there is a clear and unchallenged demarcation between the encroaching, the encroaching evil and the elf realm that is both there is a boundary, there is a peaceful elven realm, and the elves are at peace. So, like the, like the transition into Lothlorien in the Fellowship of the Ring, we're running away from orcs, we're running away from orcs, we've crossed the boundary, now everything's fine. Um, is that the way things are going to be? That there's going to be, like, they're going to be pursued by the spiders, but once they cross, um, you know, the boundary of the elves' home territory, the spiders have to turn around and go back because they can't enter the peaceful realm of the elves. That's option C. Option D is there is a boundary. You know, there is that, that place where the twisted forest stops and the, the, the cheerful, happy elven realm begins, but uh, it's, it's an armed boundary. You know, there's like metaphorically barbed wire there, and it's a frontier of war, and you've got the spiders encroaching on it and the elves having to beat them back. Um, so this, again, would be a boundary exists, but the elves are, are in crisis. So you see, those 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 two fundamental the four options based on your answers to those to the two basic you know fundamental questions are the elves at peace or war are you know, which you know are they is there a problem are they under threat, and is there a boundary are we going to see a, a visibly distinct elven realm within Merquion? Well mm-hmm. done. Thank you. I think that Thank was you. well explained.
2: <laughs> We'll see. I hope so. We'll see what kind of questions I, I get once so. this goes up on the bo- on the Yeah, this is this science. is
1: not this is not one of those transparent riddles. Um, Andreas asked what about a neutral zone? Yeah, will it be like a no man's land <laughs> with lots of craters and things where the artillery the dead shells marshes. go off. Uh, yeah yeah uh, is there a um, demilitarized zone? Yeah, right. <laughs> is there a demilitarized zone? I would think not. Um, uh, yeah, I mean there certainly could be if they were if uh, I think that would be part, if if there is, I
2: think that would be a D answer, because there would have to be a
1: demarcation between. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Right, I would say that there is is D. I mean, basically, if there is any happy, cheerful zone, like any place which is Lothlorien-like, clearly distinguished, above-ground mind, outside of the Elven King's halls themselves, Um, If there's any part of the forest that, you know, you take a step forward and all of a sudden you are now in, you know, now there are, like, bright little butterflies and songbirds, you know, you are in a Lothalorian-like elven realm and no longer in the dark and threatening Mirkwood. If that happens, it's either C or D. Right. And then it's just the question of, is that just a realm at peace, which by nature of its very existence is repelling the evil, or is it, uh, Undersea, so thing. so yeah, Andreas, the the sort of neutral zone. There may, if if that happens, if we do get a visible elven, you know, realm with a boundary, it may well be. If the answer is D, we could get like a doubtful land outside it, where the evil is just starting to encroach, but the elves are still resisting it. Um, that I w- I might even expect if the answer were D. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, see, Brianna, I, 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 you're kind of thinking very much along the lines that I am. Brianna says, from a set design direction, it'd be boring if there wasn't a visual, a visual distinction. But I don't imagine it being as dramatic a change as the transition into Wolf Lorean. I also think the ba- boundary will be gradual and not just a stark line. Though now I'm, though I'm now remembering that bridge from the original scroll poster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. Um, so yeah, Brianna, I agree. I mean, now if, if, if if the boundary is not completely sharp I mean if it's its I would say it's okay if you you know in order for the answer to be B or C it doesn't have to be that you can like stand there with one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness Um, I don't think it has to be quite that sharp the question is just is there a safe place within the forest above ground outside their actual gates within the forest is there a part of the forest that they get to which is happy elven realm, visually distinguished from the rest of Mirkwood? Hmm. <laughs> Is it answer time? Yeah, it's answer time. Well, I think we should start with Dave. I think so, too. So, Dave, one question at a time. Do you think there's going to be that that visibly, visually distinguished place? Are we going to yes. get... So I eliminate
0: A and B. Okay. Okay. I'm so uh saying? I'm going with D. You're going with D? Mm
1: hmm Okay.
0: Yep. I I think I think um I think that well, that is a good question because you know what this does bring up is um the the rapidity with which the the whole corruption thing is spreading. Because because you know like in the first film, we get Radagast the Brown just just noticing the very beginnings of it, and yeah. and just now noticing, hey, there's some you know they, the the lights are on in the old Dole Golder place again. I wonder what's going on up there, <laughs> right? Um, it's like the um, <laughs> and, and so, so setting aside the time and space have no meaning, um, maxim. It would seem really odd if if just in the short time between those events and when the dwarves. Are captured by the elves. That that suddenly the elves are under siege, um, right. uh, or that, that um, or that if they've been under siege for a while long enough that they've that they've armed themselves and started constructing defenses. it Seems odd that nobody else was aware of the corrupt, growing corruption in the forest. You know, like like if if they've been under siege by spiders and other things all this time, how come they didn't send word to the to the White Council? Like, <laughs> hey guys, help, a little help over here. Yeah, nicely um, spotted Radagast. We've been under attack <laughs> for <a> months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it does but at the same time, you know, for one thing we 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 revived the the uh, the time and space have no meaning maxim. And then the other thing I wonder is is if maybe it's right at the beginning of that that they've suddenly that they've just had their first couple of encounters with the evil creatures and they're just so so we're, we're reaching them just as they're establishing sort of the armed boundary, so I, I'm still going with D. I, I feel like in, ter- in terms of, in terms of a Peter Jackson film and what, what he's done before with Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff, I feel like the the opportunity to kind of show, show, show kind of a martial people just generally that's the direction they go in on screen so.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, let me uh, answer Yana's question here. Yana says, what if there isn't a border, um, but the, uh, the elves do make regular sorties, but they aren't in danger of being overrun and the elves are in relative peace? Because um, I agree, it does seem pretty clear, based upon the evidence that we've seen, that we will get an armed sortie of the elves. But I don't think that that necessarily proves that they're going to be you know, besieged in the way that, you know, I'm suggesting in answers B and D. Um, Because, you know, they could, for instance, uh, basically, an elven sortie can be perfectly consistent with A, with the book answer. You know, that there there isn't a distinct boundary. Um, but the elves are at peace. They're, they're not in crisis. They cannot be in crisis and still lead an occasional sortie to go smack down the spiders. Um, because we're told in the book that they're, that, that the, you know, the spiders are their enemies and they show no mercy to them. So apparently they do fight them occasionally. And remember that um, in the and I think I quoted this earlier, when uh, Balin is talking to the, spy, to, to, to the Elven King, and the Elven King, one of the things that he accuses them of, is he, he accuses them of rousing the spiders with their riot and clamor. Right. Um, so I could, you could easily see um, their initial meeting. The Elves come out in force to fight against the spiders, because the spiders have all been roused by the capture of the dwarves and then the rescue of the dwarves, so you've got this, This, you know, normally the spiders aren't attacking the elves but now, like, the dwarves are leading this, like, seething mob of spiders, um, of enraged spiders in their direction, and the (laughs) elves are like, yikes, man, you know, like, we were fine, like, you know, why did you have to go bring a, you know, a a descending horde of furious spiders upon us? Now we had to come out in in arms and and put them down. Um, So, Jana, I think that that sequence would be, perfectly in keeping with A, with the book answer, with there not being a demarcation, there not being a separate realm, but the elves still being pretty much at peace. Um, so, that, so that's
0: true. Maybe maybe what we have is we have essentially kind of the, the Neville Chamberlain elves who are who are kind of, they see that maybe there's some, there's some bad stuff going on on other parts of the forest, but it hasn't reached them yet. And they're kind of like, you know, eh, things are fine. We got it under control. It's just a few spiders, no big deal.
1: Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, I
0: think that. Um, so what, what would what would that be?
2: I, mean, I I I could see that. I mean, I could see A being in in force and having Legolas and Toriel basically just sort of accidentally happen upon the the issue with the dwarves and spiders. You know that they haven't really been on a sortie. They're they're out hunting, right. perhaps. You know, or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: but what if it's sort of more? What if it's more? they're not just out hunting and they stumbled upon some evil spiders, but they're they're responding to situations, but it hasn't yet reached their doorstep. They're, right. li- they're the,
2: the, I think that's me. Forward. I think it's yeah. the forest is uniformly dark, and elves, and I changed it to elves are living in crisis, because siege makes it sound like they're close. Yes, they're
1: living in crisis. That's what I would emphasize. That's yeah. what I would emphasize, is that basically, to me, perhaps perhaps a better question, originally I said, are they at peace or are they at war? Are they under siege or are, are they at peace? Perhaps a better way of putting it is, are they in Crisis, right? Um, mm-hmm. Are they in trouble? Are they are they you know being confronted with the potential overrunning of their kingdom? Are, is there, are they really in, you know? Because you have patrols, you know, you can do patrols, um, and you know, your patrols might have to put down particularly you know rowdy bunches of spiders, even if you're not in crisis. Um, uh, or perhaps we could even say, don't think they are in crisis. We could get a uh, sort of a Denethor thing going on there, potentially. Uh-huh, it's okay. Like a film Denethor thing.
0: Okay, so 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 this is so we can actually draw. We can now we, we have two axes, and we can sort of yes. put sign this thing to quadrants. A is yes. A is essentially no distinct realms, and no elves are not in crisis. crisis. B is no distinct realm, elves are in crisis. C is distinct realms, elves are not in crisis. D is distinct realms, elves in crisis.
1: Exactly.
0: So, Gee, I'm, I'm going with C, actually.
1: Okay, so you've changed to C now. So distinct yes, realms, not I think, in
0: crisis. Yeah, I think we're getting kind of the Denethor thing, where they're they're like, you know, yeah, uh, there, there's something going on in the other parts of the forest, but we're managing it; it's fine. And and they're they're it's not like they're oblivious, or and it's not like the this the um, Legolas's party just stumbled, happened to stumble across some spiders. They're aware of it, and they're sending out parties and attacking, but. Basically they don't think it's that big of a deal. They're like, Yeah, we got this. You know. Right. It, yeah. they they aren't they aren't yet aware of sort of the, the looming danger maybe. Right. Or they're and, they're unwilling to recognize it.
1: Yep, and on, I was going to say, just, Andreas was just saying something which I think is, is a perfect illustration. Um, uh, Andreas says, so indeed they would not have like dancing and feasting parties right. somewhere in the woods. Yes, absolutely. The fact that we're just going to go hang out in the forest at night and have a feast and not really set a guard because apparently a whole party of dwarves can creep up and burst right into the clearing without any warning. So um, the, the fact that we're going to go around and live like it that is, that, is, that is a perfect picture of the elves not in crisis. Um, so yes, if we get the elves feasting with posting no guards or anything like that, and they're just like hanging out in the forest, not feasting in their halls, but feasting out in the forest and setting no guards, um, that is, that is the elves, I would take that as clear evidence of the elves not in crisis.
2: And that would be either A or C, depending on where you were at that
1: demarcation. Depending on whether or not there's a clear visual demarcation between their realm and, and the rest of Merquid. I have this. I have this picture of like Bilbo. If there's
2: a demarcation, I'm in. I'm out. I'm in. I'm out. You know, what's in? What's out? puts in? puts out?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I. I wouldn't think it would be quite that sharp. But, uh, you know, I, I. I. I used the adjective sharp to describe the demarcation, but I. I but I visually, yeah. I mean, I don't we're mean it quite that way.
2: The sense like we got with with Lorien in, in Fellowship of the Ring, that kind of. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, okay I'm going to go with D Ooh, I do think there's going to be the a voice demarcation. of Olsen I think there's going to I'm going to no, yes, yes and, and, and this week uh, <laughs> uh, I once again try to talk people into D um, okay I, I, agree. I agree basically Brianna I agree with you I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine the Weta people turning down the opportunity for a distinctly Wood Elf set design, and not just internal. I mean, they're going to get the the we're going to get the 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 caves, you know, the 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 inside of the halls of the Elven King, and that's pretty cool. But I think we're going to get forest. We're going to get elfin forest too. So. Um, so I think there will be a demarcation. I think we will enter into an elven zone at one point and at a point where they will feel safer, that is, except for from the elves. Um, but I think the elves are going to be in crisis. I think that he is going to um, I think that he's going to bring down the wood elves in that sense. I think that he is going to make them struggling, both because of the way he is, he is ramping up the necromancer and the threat of the necromancer. Um... So in order to express this is really a big crisis and not just a small thing happening down in Radagast County, but really something that's, that's an epidemic through all of this. Um, but also in order to provide more drama for the elven king and his people. That is, he's going to need something other than profiteering to get him out. And I think that to, to, it, it creates a situation. If the elves themselves are in trouble, Um, then, you know, and need help, that I think fits in nicely. The sort of the irony of that, of Thorin coming back to find them and the elves in need of allies, um, is both, I, I, I can see that fitting really, really well in the Thorin story, because, of course, then the challenge for Thorin is, okay, Thorin, what do you do? Do you take the low road and say, well, you didn't help me, you jerk, I'm not helping you? Or do you take the high road, Thorin, and say, like, ah, like I shall prove myself a true king, and I shall rise above my grievances, no, he's not and I there. shall assist the elves? He's gonna stay a butthead. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> but anyway, that but 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 that choice I think will right. be presented, or at least I, I could see that very easily being set up, and it then complicates uh, the. Um, the, the the Battle of Five Army stuff, because I think that if they're involved in those kinds of ways, you know, if there's some question of the elves being in need and being helped, and therefore the elves coming in and also helping, it removes the question, which I think is still a legitimate question, which Thorin asks, but is, but is not, to his satisfaction, answered in the book. Of why is the Elven King's army here? What are you doing here? Um, And uh, but I think again, if the elves are in a, um, if if the trouble of the elves in Northern Mirkwood is kind of of a piece with the trouble of the whole region, um, it seems to me to I, I think it fits in better, and it sets up more to me more intriguing possibilities in the setup for the Battle of Five Armies. So. I think the elves are going to be in crisis. I'm going D. I'm sticking with C. I'm sticking with C. Okay,
2: so I get to pick between the person I barely lost to and the person who marginally beat the three of us. I want to see what Brianna's answer is. <laughs> That's not fair. Yeah, now –
1: Brianna, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Brianna <laughs> says this is reminding me of Doriath being at peace in the Girdle, but still having right. wardens on their borders. Right. Yeah, exactly. That I, you know, Doriath there is C. D, you know, Doriath, Doriath, Doriath right. on its own. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they they are not. They are at peace. They don't have to defend their borders. They're not. You know, they're not worried about like their borders contracting as evil encroaches. The Girdle is there. And it's solid. Um, when they, with the the the, there are places that are outside the girdle, but which Thingol still considers part of his realm. And that's where the March Wardens are fighting. That's where Beleg and Turin go mm-hmm. um, when they're fighting at the beginning uh, of 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 uh, of the Children of Horin. So, um, uh, so, so there, yeah. That, so we could see a situation like that where the Elves are at peace, but they occasionally go outside their realm in order to, um. You know, like that's still D, for, though, isn't it? I mean, there's still a crisis. No, that, no, that would be C. That oh, would be C. C. Oh, okay. Yeah, if, if they're not in crisis, but they are for reasons of their own, venturing outside the of their peaceful zone yeah, okay. in order to, you know, uh, like give the spiders an occasional smackdown. Okay. Um, that would be that would be um that would be C. So yes, the Dorian situation is C.
2: Okay. <laughs> the door. People are going to see that they haven't read the summary and go, "What the? What's the Doriath answer?" Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's okay. Both, yeah, so I'm trying to buy
2: we, time yeah. here. I'm trying to decide. I, 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 um, by a just a hair, I'm going with the voice of Olson. <laughs> Mainly because I just see it playing more dramatically on film. You know, that, uh, and, and Yana asked the question, well, how could that be if they get the spy? you know, if they're out with the spiders, isn't that outside their, their you know, border? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I could see them, like, marching their prisoners to a checkpoint, you know, giving the secret sign yeah. to get through the border. So that, to me, would be a D. That, that's a D. It's an actively defended boundary. So I'm going to go with D.
1: Sorry, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that, um, but, I mean, I, what you just said, Trish, is the thing which is most, uh, which most convinces me of this—that I think it is the best setup for film plot. Yeah. It is—it is—it—it—it it, it, it creates most interest in the story. If instead of—and now we wander into another peaceful elven realm where nothing much seems to be happening, but yet you know there's still there's this personal history with Thorin, and and it, it's probably quite beautiful and all that. Um, Brianna copped out. If, if, Brianna
2: copped out. By the way, she oh, needs yeah? to think about it more. <laughs> Okay. No, it's okay, Brianna. You don't have to rush.
1: You know, uh, it's fine. It's fine.
2: Uh, You know, we're the ones who have to. No, but I agree, and I think you know. Part of me says, you know, it's so funny because I think of, um, I think of John with the Lonely Mountain band, and the reason I think of John is that on Hobbit Day, his favorite part of the day was the thing about the sword making. You know, the Middle of the News did, they did the thing. And so there's the Johns of the world who, who want to see more battle-type stuff, you know, and so this is an opportunity, <laughs> you know, to show yeah. elves in arms kind of thing, and I just think Jackson won't, you know, that's a constituency that Jackson has to respond to.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree. Uh, I just but, don't see any reason why I, – I I feel like you can have that without having – um yeah, uh, actively, you can. The, 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 Doriath, the Doriath example is a perfect – yep. That's get, why I think I like it's a hair. Tori- I mean, I think that right actually
2: – and actually, the Doriath answer yes. also would explain Legolas' and Toriel's presence, you know, to rescue them from the spider. So, I think it's yep a hair. I mean, I think it's a hair. So you know, I, not, I think not in crushes, listeners, but they're contesting for right. Given our okay, given our see. results I, from last year, I would suggest people seriously consider the Dave Kale answer on this one.
1: <laughs> I, I, I would suggest people consider A or B. A or B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we we've, okay. we've eliminated
0: the two least likely answers. Before you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly.
1: Now, uh, Andreas has a good question. He says, "What?" Uh, what if it changes from C to D before we get there? Like, you know, we start with C and have the dancing parties in the woods, but later, uh, you know, there are fights with the spiders and things start to increase. You know, that would be a judgment call on the part of our judges, I right. would say. Um, I would, you know, if I were a judge and, and that were to happen and we started with the peaceful parties and things got worse, um, I would be inclined to say C, to say that that's mm-hmm. where we, you know, that, that like, the, 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 the first glimpse that we get of it is... Uh, is sort of is is what I would take to determine the answer, but I, I think it would be a judgment call. It might also depend on um, how much. I mean, if we're getting at the beginning essentially like a flashback to the good old days when the elves used to hold dancing parties in the woods, but now things are changing, then I would say D would right. be correct. But right. um, and Yana's going with A. Okay, there we go. <gasps> Yana, we've got a we've got a, we've got a, a dissident here. That's good. And Mark Fisher. Uh, yep.
0: uh follower, yeah.
1: and Andreas
2: go is going with C, so that's good. And Daniel Helen is going with B.
1: Oh, we okay. There we go. We've officially <laughs> got them covered now. Well, that's actually you know one of the things that I like about this riddle is that there isn't any answer which seems obviously wrong. Right. You know, that's it, true. It really good job, Corey. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. I'm, 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 I was nervous about this riddle, but I'm I'm, I'm liking it more and more now. Um, <laughs> so yes, the, there was no answer that we included for the sake of thoroughness. Uh, but even though I think it's terribly unlikely, even though and of course there's no none of the above. You know, we don't have too. to do a none of the above on this right. one either. We don't have to do a none of the above. Okay. All right. Phew. <sighs> good. All right. Okay. So I think uh, this is this is fun enough. So I think we will plan unless something else comes up uh, more urgently. Uh, we'll plan to go on and do the spiders uh, next time. Yeah. next episode, which will probably be two weeks from now, even if we might not. And I do
2: want to say, now. you know, I, I have received some, you know, really good suggestions as far as topics. Um, one of the things that I kind of am doing in my recommendations to Corey and Dave about topics is I think there are probably going to be some topics, for example, Toriel is a really good example, that we'll probably want to yes. talk about later once we get more – stuff coming from Jackson. You know, once Jackson starts his little, you know, visual teasers, I would expect her to be part of that. So we're probably going to want to save her till maybe later on.
1: Um, You know, like BOLG, I I think, is is another example. Yes, yes. I would kind of like to give Toriel a similar kind of treatment. You remember when we were, um, in some of those episodes in the second half of last year, where we were, you know, pulling up posters, right? And, you know, the, right. The, the movie posters and doing a careful exactly. reading of the, you know, what we exactly. were being shown on the posters. And if we get kind of, another movie, basically, call,
2: you know, she'll probably be. Yeah, I mean, I don't video. feel like I have
1: anything more to say about Toriel than I've already said. Right. You know, I mean, we talked about Toriel briefly. Back, you know, Dave, when you and I were rashly discussing the barrels, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was in the episode. I think it was in the split episode, in the two-film split episode, um, and we ended up digressing into talking about the question that somebody was raising about is Toriel going to be the guard captain from whom Bilbo steals the keys and all that kind of thing. I mean you know i i don't have much else to add about toriel because i don't think we have much information about her so i agree right. trish i think that we should wait for that yeah there's there'll be some um, other
2: things like that too yeah
1: um yeah. i do want to yeah,
0: bring up i guess there's a lot of things to there's a lot of things to speculate about with toriel but i mean from a standpoint of sort of uh, our angle of this podcast which is you know how's the book going to make the transition to the screen none of yeah. none of them are interesting right Right. right. Now, there's really there's no meat to it. It's just like, well, it's questions of will she be in this scene or not. Right. Um, you know, maybe the only kind of book related question with her that's interesting is. Uh, is she going to be the guard that lets them out?
1: Right. Is she going to be involved in the in the escape? Yeah. yeah. And now, maybe
0: even complicit. Right. As opposed to being right. tricked,
1: maybe she, maybe she'll be right. complicit. Daniel actually right, points right. out
2: a very good point, which we've done well with Smaug, but we have not done well with Tauriel. So I guess really her pronunciation <laughs> well, of her name really is see, Tauriel. Yeah, I
1: actually I actually don't um, I actually don't feel. Oh wait, I mean, are they going to pronounce it? To, because I mean, they made that one up, you know, so I don't feel like there's a proper <laughs> Tolkien pronunciation to assert upon that one you know, I, I might kind of dig in my heels and say, like, you know, Jackson can say what he wants, I'm not going to say Thrain That's, um, right, that's, right, that's right. but at the end of the day, I mean, he made Toriel up, so if he wants to call her <laughs> Toriel, I, who am I to say no, you know, I mean uh, uh, I mean, no, it, no, it's not consistent, but uh, um but if that's how they're going to call her i guess they can do that uh but i don't know um
2: hey before we you know. break up i wanted to um rectify my oversight for a couple of episodes of bringing up yana's request Corey, for yes, some yes. uh assistance if you want to talk about that or you want me to talk about it
1: sure know. yeah uh, yana yeah. had this, you know is one of our uh one of our very faithful uh attendees here in in Riddles in the Dark life, And by the way, can I just pause for a second to point out that we had 32 people just a minute ago um, for our spontaneous episode here? Um, so, like, you know, wow. thanks and kudos to all the to the 29 people. That was the highest number I saw at any point. Uh, to the 29 people uh, who showed up live with no warning. Of course, the fact that we carry on for two hours gives people a slightly larger window in which That's to join true. us. Uh, but well, uh, nevertheless, uh, still. And I also um, want to point uh, out
2: that I know at least one person, Travis Powell, is here for the very first time.
1: Oh, great! Yes, welcome, welcome. Yeah, no, I think there's, there's, yeah, there, there, there's some definitely some names that I don't. Uh, recognize, and of course others that I do, and I'm always glad to see. Hi, D May from D May joining us from oh, Dime, Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Very good. That, which oh, is, and Declan, uh, me too. Yay. I'm pointing out because it's. I mean, what time is it? Is it now? Six o'clock or seven o'clock, D May? I mean, <laughs> did you join us at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> with five minutes warning for crying out loud? Uh, anyway, so I just wanted to point out D May for for special thanks praise there. And Declan um, in the UK, uh, along
2: with Daniel. Declan, Declan yeah. So,
1: yes, yes. I, I always, uh, I'm always uh, <laughs> that even years. though my Mythgard classes are always held late at night, which is cruel to the to the to the poor Europeans. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel at least a little bit better about our riddles in the dark time, which is which is tough on Dave and 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 Dime, especially in Alaska. But. Um, but much gentler to the europeans <laughs> uh... anyway um... so but but back out of it out of actually my that's digression, a good segue uh, to
2: yana's because we're talking time zones yes
1: that's true because that that is going to be an issue with yana so uh... yana's idea was to do a sort of a communal viewing of the lord of the rings film so he wants to he wants to organize a. Global simultaneous viewing of the Lord of the Rings films with like accompanying commentary and discussion, um, where we could kind of all get together and watch them together and talk about them as they go on, um, and and so to to do that to do that live everywhere, um, so um, I I actually I think that that's a great idea. Um, uh, I would love to see that happen. We'll see, you know, that we'll have sort of forthcoming announcements about that. Um, I mean, it's like, I, you know, I'm really, uh, uh, really grateful to uh, um, to, uh, to Yana for uh, proposing it. And maybe what we'll do is have, um, uh, Yana. actually, you know, what, what I think we might do, maybe we will arrange in the next episode to... Um, have like a, a a spot with you at the beginning where you can explain it. We can talk about it together, and then Great we idea. can go into the episode from there. I should I've got to go now, so I right. can't. We can't take too much time on it now. But we'll, we'll 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 prepare a little bit more of that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Maybe even suggest some dates. And
2: um, if anybody wants to around. help Yana out, because this is yeah, this can be a just the logistics kind of of it and not so much the technical yeah. piece of it, but I think kind of getting it together and getting the word out and stuff, he could really use some help. So if you would like to help Yana out with this, which I think sounds just like a lot of fun, um, I, let us know. Th- let me know through the Riddles in the Dark Facebook page. That's probably the best way because Yana's up there a lot and, and I can make sure that he, he, he you know knows who's kind of been putting their hand up.
1: Yeah, that would be great. So yeah, do keep that in mind. Um, you know, It will certainly be over a weekend. I think most likely the only way to make it practicable would be to split the films up. I don't think we'll be able right. to do a marathon back-to-back-to-back to back to back showing because time zones are going to make that absolutely impossible for many people. Um, it's difficult enough uh, <laughs> in one time zone. Um, so it would probably have to be a sort of a serial event on, on three different occasions, on three different weekends. Um, But, um, uh, but anyway, so we'll um, well, yeah. So Yana and Corey can talk some more details there,
2: right? And then Yana and Corey can can tell you more about it at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely would be the extended Uh, editions, Declan. Is there any other edition but an extended edition of Lord of the Rings?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't even own the cinematic versions of the Lord of the of the film. Yeah, I think everybody –
2: that's true, you know, though. I thought if people that are watching Lord of the Rings – because we'd be watching it ourselves. If somebody doesn't have the extended edition, that could be problematic, but we'll have to figure that
1: out. Right, right. Yep. Yep, but we'll – yeah, well, so we'll we'll see. As I say, we'll so we'll have more details about that next time. But we just want to let you know that that was kind of brewing.
2: Cool. I mean,
1: were there other announcements, Trish?
2: That was it. That was, uh, I think, the okay. only thing. I'm just... Oh,
1: oh, actually, I have one. Oh, great. Um, uh, I, I, uh, so yes, I do have an announcement, and that is there has been a kind of exciting development lately. Um, I received a a, a very unexpected phone call. Um. About two weeks ago, from one of the executives at iTunes U, um, uh, an Apple employee who's who contacted me, um, to basically ask if I would be willing to create new iTunes U courses with my podcast material, um, you know, and he was you know offering to promote the podcast stuff. Um, if we would agree to arrange it in iTunes U courses. and I was really excited by this because, of course, as many of you know, one of the things that I've been really wishing for all along, and we've done this, you know, we've been able to organize things to some extent on the website, uh, the Tolkien Professor website itself, um, but the feed, you know, the the podcast feed, is still, you know, the, the RSS feed is just a, you know, based on chronology, you know, a a mishmash of all the different, you know, the Riddles in the Dark stuff and Silmarillion seminar stuff and and the occasional Tolkien chat and all these other things. Um, And I've always wanted those to be able to be kind of sorted out and, uh, you know, to have a place where you can go and be, you know, here are all the, um, you know, all of the episodes in this particular series um uh you know sorted out in a clear place. So we're actually doing that through iTunes U. We're going to set those up as iTunes U courses. Um, and the cool thing about that is that through the new uh, uh course software that they're using, they have this new course interface through iTunes U. Um, uh, and um so through that we're able not only to have the different episodes organized in that way, but actually to attach uh materials and stuff. So you know like for instance the first thing we did, the first thing they wanted to do um, was my Hobbit lecture series. So we have right now the Hobbit lecture series set up as a course on iTunes U and it's really cool because we're able to not only have uh, the eight lectures in the series but to connect to each one of those to, connect each one, you know, to link from those to the relevant chapters in the Hobbit book and to link to them to uh, the relevant chapters in my book also and um, you know so it's able you know so it would be really cool to be able to do that with uh, with several of the other series that I've done like the Silmarillion Seminar we're doing next um, to be able to have a Silmarillion Seminar course with all of that material correlated with the book and everything up on up on iTunes U. Wow. Um, I would like to do uh, the Riddles in the Dark stuff next after the Silmarillion Seminar too so that that stuff could you know have a place that really lives there and uh, um, and we could link to resources and stuff for that so that stuff is still in process but it's pretty cool um, and uh, i am uh, um uh I am hoping that uh that will' you know, we'll continue to get that stuff sorted out so i just want to let you know you know you you may see some you know sort of new stuff about this um of course like the the most of the material that we're putting up there at this point is not new material it's just a matter of sorting and uh, uh and being able to to really package much more effectively many of the things that we've already done, but as we're moving forward we're going to be doing some more things with that you know having established and gotten used to that interface we're going to be doing some some different stuff with it so uh, so I just want to let you guys know that that is happening if you um, if you um, work with iTunes U especially if you have an iPad Um, the iPad interface for iTunes for the new iTunes U courses is really cool it's really designed with the iPad in mind uh, so you can uh, you can do some really cool tablet stuff with uh, um, with the iTunes U thing. So I, I do um, encourage you if you if you are an iTunes user to uh, to, to to check that out. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to uh, to let you guys know that that would be happening. I'm I was pretty excited about that. So.
2: Yana uh, asked, asked a question with the Simil, Silmarillion seminar coming to a close. Is there going to be a Lord of the Rings one coming up? Actually, I don't think that, Corey, but you do have some plans, don't you, for some uh, some new like Tolkien chats and things after the Silmarillion seminar? Yes,
1: yes. I'm doing some new Tolkien chats and things, and I definitely want to do um, a okay, – one way or another, there is going to be a Fall of Arthur seminar oh, when the Fall of yeah. Arthur oh. comes out. Yeah. Um, I cannot possibly resist going through and doing readings and discussions of The Fall of Arthur um, with people um, once we're all reading The Fall of Arthur for the first time. You're going to need to do
2: Dave Cale to be the leader of the um, rebel faction in that seminar. Yeah, exactly.
1: So we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but I'm not sure what that. I'm not. I'm not quite yet sure what that's going to look like. I'm actually talking to uh, Verlin Flieger about that. She's also oh, interested wow. in doing a Fall of Arthur thing. She might act. She might do um, an actual Mythgard class uh, involving the Fall of Arthur this summer. She might do. You know, she might be involved in the in the public seminar. Not quite sure. But um, uh, she, uh, uh, Verlin Fleeger, was actually several years back actually started to edit the fall of arthur wow. before you know, she was going to be the one that were going to let to edit it and and release it then christopher tolkien withdrew his permission uh, for that project to go forward and then he ended up doing it, so he ended up editing it himself no, um, fine. but anyway so uh, you know there's nobody knows more about the fall of arthur than i you know other than christopher tolkien there's nobody that i know that knows more about the fall of arthur than Berlin fleeger um, and uh, so, so we'll see. You know, I, I will definitely have announcements about that too. But Yana, to to actually answer your question about the Lord of the Rings seminar, it's something I have long thought about doing, and I am still thinking about doing it. Um, I'm not. Sh- it wouldn't work exactly the same way. I would want it to be able to be more public, uh, but I'm not sure. I, I I don't at this point have concrete plans about it. Um, We'll see. Is all I can Basically, I'm keeping it in mind. Um, I would love to do something like that, um, but I don't want to make any promises, and I'm not sure. And especially, I have to admit, like at this particular moment, um, like I can feel parts of my brain, like committing <laughs> suicide when I even <laughs> contemplate the idea. Um, so <laughs> I can't. I definitely couldn't do it now. Um, but I will say that uh, um, the
2: the, um, the yeah. course pack for last summer's Fellowship of the Ring course, I think, it would be really good. I mean, if people
1: yeah, really and people it. have you know said that they you know they would really like to do a follow up and to towers, do a two towers yeah. course like we did the the yeah. the Fellowship course last summer, and I, that that might happen this summer, and that certainly is is a way in which that kind of thing you know that we can do. So so uh, so
0: if I <clears throat> I'd like to comment too. Um, I don't think. So this, this of course is this of course is uh, it's kind of it's sort of sadly ironic because the truth of the matter is the the seminar people are like well now the seminar is wrapping up actually the, the seminar itself wrapped up like two
1: years ago two years ago something. yes exactly
0: something insanely long ago and and that should be yes. an indication to people of just how much work this thing has been like yeah. it was yeah. a lot of work then. Meeting on a weekly basis, uh, um, having to keep up with reading, like it was like having a class. We had reading assignments, we had to keep up with it, and releasing it was a ton of work, as is obvious by the fact that we're still releasing episodes like years after after the seminar finished. And it was a ton of work for Corey to prepare, and to prepare for it, and. The truth of the matter is that that it's, in, in some sense, it was the precursor to Mythgard. And all of right. the time and effort that went yeah. into that is now being eaten up by all these various other things we're doing. Right. So, it, it, so But one thing I wanted to toss out is that, of course, the participants in the Silmarillion seminar all came away thinking, that was really fun. We'd love to keep doing this. And Corey was like, yes. yeah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, at it. <laughs> and so the, this, the Silmarillion seminar participants have actually continued... Off and on, intermittently, with significantly less participation, certainly. Um, but they've actually continued doing a a more, more, much more informal um, seminar on their own. Like they just get together on Skype once every few weeks, and they've been working their way through unfinished tales, and they've actually been recording it. But none of that is is ready. you know anytime soon to be released because again it's a crap load of work to to edit it (laughs) so basically I guess what I'm toss tossing out is that that you know like I think I think that the vision of Mythgard and of all this endeavor is to is you know nothing against Corey but it's to get away from the Corey centric world where everybody's waiting (laughs) for him to do can we have a seminar with you can't you do a seminar for us you know essentially like I think what we'd like to see is eventually people just pick up the ball on their own. Like, you know, hey, go on the Mythgard boards and, and find some people who want to um, uh, who read through these books and read it together and, and, and discuss them. And, um, and in terms of, like, podcasting material, if you do something that is, that is insightful and creative and different, it isn't just a bunch of people sitting on, you know, sitting on Skype, recording themselves talking and thinking that everybody else in the world wants to listen to that. If you do something really creative and unique, there's a chance that we can turn it into uh, um, material on the podcast or something. Right. So yeah. Definitely. Basically, I'm saying, like, you know, uh, take 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 matters into your own hands. Don't don't sit and wait forever for Corey because <laughs> uh, you cannot begin to imagine how many things this guy has going on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i i am definitely in the middle of this semester this spring semester Especially is semester. probably yeah it's probably the craziest one of the craziest segments of my life to date um uh things will get a little easier uh come the summertime um but uh but yeah for the next few months i am uh pretty well maxed out however um i mean i do i do I, you know i definitely you know, second what Dave was saying. I do. You know, we want um, we want this to be a more uh, and more sort of community thing. So we definitely welcome uh, you know people's sort of suggestions and ideas, and we'd love to encourage uh, um, some of this kind of thing. Even have I would love to see um, you know down the road uh, you know MythGuard sponsoring and supporting several podcasts. Um, you know of uh, of you know things that have kind of spun off of this and which then we could also make uh you know we could use our um our iTunes U platform uh right. also to be able to yep. uh to to promote those and and make separate courses uh for those different things on on on, a, on a view. so it's one of the useful things um for those uh uh for the, for that uh for that venue It's one of the things that i had in mind um uh to uh, um, uh, th- that we could, you know, basically as a way to take the Tolkien professor stuff and Mithgard stuff and really kind of expand, you know, include more people and expand it outwards. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it's, I-, I think it's pretty cool. Um anyway, um, good. Well, I should let you guys go now, but uh, uh, but. You know, thanks for the questions, and we'll definitely, you know, I will definitely let you know. The Fall of Arthur thing—that's one thing which, like, no matter how busy my wife is, like, when The Fall yeah, of man. Arthur comes out, by golly, I'm going to read it, <laughs> and if I read it, I'm going to want to talk about it. So, it frankly doesn't matter what else is going on in my life. Like that, I mean, the the the, the release of The Fall of Arthur—I mean, that's like a, that's like a, you know, a, a, something that I would put in like the 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 the. the, the Chronological outline of my biography. You know, <laughs> like if, if I wrote an autobiography, like you know, the month of Fall of Arthur is released. That's a date. You know, In mean, the that's, that's, <laughs> life right of <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, man, I the, you know the, the release of the Children of Húrin and the release of Sigurd and Gudrun. Like those were pretty exciting. Um, but man, Fall of Arthur for me, holy cow, that's uh, um, that's 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 even more. Mostly because I was never expecting it. Yeah. Um, but will you, uh, start, will, you, <clears throat> will you start dating
0: your life as you know before Arthur? After Arthur? <laughs> yeah,
1: probably not. Probably not. This will not be. A, and 2013 shall be known as in the year of Arthur. No, <laughs> I, I don't think so. The year Arthur. Uh, <laughs> <self>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. But but anyway, I mean, it would be a date. I mean, this is this is a big deal. So I mean, we're definitely going to do something with that. But um, but yeah, so we'll we'll uh, I'll keep people posted on that. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, I will, I will, I will officially wrap things up then, and, uh, and say thanks for listening, and Godspeed.